We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 NFL Mock Draft. There's going to be tons of mock drafts on the internet closer to draft day, but this is the one that you need to be watching because we're doing this from a premise. We have two very knowledgeable experts on the line. They will both make their case for said pick. Pat Mayo will be the arbiter, the judge, the jury. I don't know about the executioner unless someone really falls down the board, but I will decide what the pick is. They both agree. That's the pick. They both have conflicting issues with what the pick is. Then it's up to them to make their case to me to what the pick is going to be. Remember to smash the like button for the episode and tell me who you think is the most undervalued player in the 2021 NFL draft who is likely to go in the first round. Who's going to be the best steal when all these quarterbacks go super early and all the good players fall down the board and then the rich teams just get even richer because they picked up one of the best players to pick like number 23 or something like that. Oh, I think the Jets are picking at 23, so it's probably not going to be anything good with that. They'll just probably make the worst possible pick for the worst possible situation. They'll take a second quarterback or something stupid like that. It's the Jets. What do you expect them to do? Remember to smash the like button, subscribe to Mayo Media Inc. on YouTube. And if you're listening to the audio podcast version, rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience. We've already done running back profiles with Emery Hunt, wide receiver profiles with Jake Seeley, NFL draft props, and just some general draft discussion with Elliot Chris, Tim Andacust, and Jeff Feinberg. That is all out already. You can go back in time after you watch this and go check all of those shows out too. Plus if you go to ftnbets.com and you want to bet on the draft, use code Mayo, get the package up there. It's super cheap and a lot of great information, but enough of me. We brought in the experts. You want to hear from them first up from NBC sports edge. He's becoming a regular on the mock draft shows over time. He is a former college sports fantasy writer of the year. And one of the most comprehensive college football writers there is out on them internets it is thor nice room what's going on and it's awesome to be back again i'm excited to do this because this is where i learn about all these guys that i pretend to be an expert for four days after i absorb the knowledge then repeat it to people i know they're like you sure do know a lot about college football like yeah you know it's my job to know but i just talk to the right people first timer on the show because we had to get him on for the mock draft Ray Garvin, Destination Devi. Check out the YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description right now for all of the breakdowns. 
one of the best around. Your rise in this space, especially when it comes to college players, college prospects, is off the charts. What a year for you. Yeah, you know, I'm an attorney by trade, so I'm a professional bullshitter. So that does not, uh, my rise is all is all BS, man. But no, nah, I'm excited to be here, talk to two, two greats, two titans in the industry and talk some mock drafts. So this should be, this should be really, really fun. Excited to be here. All right. So here's what you can do. Uh, again, smash the like button. Help us out here. You can you fudge the analytics by leaving the comments. Always a good time. If you want to jump to a specific team, there are time codes for each player and each team in the description and comment section of the video and podcast. You don't give a fuck what the Lions want to do. You only care what the Steelers want to do. We made that pretty easy for you. You can find the entire mock draft rundown of the results up on DKPlaybook.com. The Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock, they have the number one pick, Thor. Who are they going to take? <laughs> uh, the least suspenseful pick in the draft. Uh, we're going to be taking Trevor Lawrence, of course, football Jesus. Uh, th- this one has been a done deal. Uh, well, I mean, ever since they they locked up the first pick, and then when Urban Meyer came in, it, it became even more so. He's lurking over him over in his pro day workout and everything. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence. We're going to turn around the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ray, any, uh, any disagreement there? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'll just say, Thor, it really has not been locked in because for the longest we thought the Jets were going to get Trevor Lawrence until they went on a two-game win streak uh, towards the end of the season. But uh, nothing more to add here. I mean, the draft really doesn't even start at pick one. It's Trevor Lawrence. It's a lock. Well, Ray, I'll chuck this back to you. Is all of the because you, you've started to see like a few negative things about Lawrence come out. Where is he actually as a prospect? And are these like negatives that have come out towards him? Like, oh, maybe you know, Justin Field should be the number one pick. Maybe Zach Wilson should be the number one pick. Is that just because there's been nothing to talk about? Yeah, we got to have a story, man. Too much time, too much time away from football. That we've got to come out with some. He doesn't love the game enough, right? He he's, he doesn't love it enough. So maybe he's not the. Stop with the silly stuff. It's Trevor Lawrence. Um, I I do believe Justin Fields should be closer to one than 24, as we've seen in some mocks. But ultimately, it's it's Trevor Lawrence. And I think it's just a a non-news news story. Thor, when you do up the mock drafts, I know that some people release theirs solely for the purposes of getting clicks with like ridiculous picks. I don't think after reading like yours and seeing your coverage, it doesn't feel like you do that. Yeah, I should definitely do it more to, to get more clicks. Uh, I like my my first mock it, since like the regular season is going to come out on Monday um, because I you know I just do like the deep dives of the rankings and stuff like that and wait till the end of free agency. But yeah, I, I agree with what Ray's saying. It's like you know we, we, you saw at the the start of our conversation about Lawrence. There's really nothing to say. Uh, it, it's so like you know to be go beyond sort of the hyperbole. You almost have to start finding something to nitpick. And with him, there's very few on field things that you could do it with. Uh, and so I. I think they're they're creating uh, you know they're creating just things to talk about with him. Number two pick, the New York Jumbo Jets. They actually they made a pretty nice pick last year at number eleven with Becton, but you know it's the Jets are going to find a way to screw this up immensely. They have the number two pick. Ray, you're on the clock for the Jets. Is this as locked in as it seems? I think so. Uh, I think the Jets have been locked in on this on this quarterback, Zach Wilson, out of BYU for quite some time now. Me personally, I wouldn't go there if I were uh, the, running the New York Jets uh, franchise. But, you know, I guess fortunately for me, I'm not. And they will take Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU. Listen, he's got he's got a big arm. He's got a big arm. He has some great intangibles. Um, there's some things that he does very, very well. 
his rise, I think uh, Thor and I are probably in agreement on this. Uh, I just, I wouldn't make this pick. I would be, I would be very weary as a Jets fan with this pick, but I, I think as much as Trevor Lawrence is locked in at the one one spot, I think Zach Wilson is locked into this new regime uh, with the New York Jets. Anything that can talk the Jets out of Zach Wilson, Thor? I don't think so at this point. No. I mean, like you see them like ask questions to Joe Douglas about it. He's just, you know, he's got like a shit eating grin on like, it, you know, <laughs> he, he ain't going to tell us in advance, but it's it's very clearly going to be Zach Wilson. But, but like Ray saying, like, I, we totally agree, you know, as, as far as that goes. And just to give you guys some context for the Zach Wilson thing, like, you know, get down there in the granular level against uh, power five, non bowl teams and group of five teams under nine wins in his career. He went 17 and two 70.6 completion percentage, uh, over 5,000 yards in a 49 to 6 TDI and T ratio against power five ball teams and group of five teams that finished with nine plus wins over his entire career, two and eight, 62.8% completions and a seven to nine TDI and T ratio. He threw more interceptions in those 10 games against quality opponents than he did touchdowns. The, the rubber meets the road with his evaluation where the, the, the people that, that like him a lot, you know, they think he's like, you know, a, one of the top two guys it's they forgive him for the 2019 mediocre season that he had because he was like solid as a, a true freshman um and then just mediocre as, as a sophomore and then this past season he he just blew up and in 2019 he had a couple injuries that he played through granted but he had a lot of nfl talent he was playing with you know brady christensen matt bushman dax milne uh there was a couple other offensive linemen that are going to get either drafted or, or, or picked up as a priority udfa so he played with talent you know during his career but you know anytime that they played a good team he leveled down um this season though of course and this ne isn't necessarily his fault although it ended up helping him quite a bit byu schedule got wrecked because of covid you know that the, they're an independent team obviously and they basically had to pick up the pieces last second and just throw the this schedule together well it was just a bunch of bum teams is, is what it turned out to be and he went absolutely ape th this season he was playing behind brady christians like, like i mentioned brady christian had the best uh pff graded offensive line season of all time um you know in addition to some of the you know the other guys he was playing with it, that i just mentioned the discrepancy between uh wilson's supporting cast and the teams he was playing this year was absolutely enormous the, the only team they played that was even close to them was coastal carolina so it, there's things in the profile that remind me of uh guys that have busted um drew lock it, it's it's very he had drew lock had a very similar thing at college where every time missouri played you know idaho or you know north texas or whatever he'd just go absolutely ballistic and he would against vanderbilt and, and sort of the underbelly of the sec but every time they went up against a bama a georgia and lsu you know down the line he would be bad like legit bad um and, and so wilson's splits are very similar and again the, the people that really like him they're telling you trust your eyes on on the 2020 and the stuff before in 2019 he was injured you know and, and then this year you know he, he leveled up I'm not willing to to give him that leeway, especially when it it so cleanly parses between quality opponents and bad opponents. Well, Ray, you're someone eyes who I trust on this situation. Is it in a legitimate level up, or is what Thor's saying ring true to you? It rings true. I mean, it's it's 100 true, and I think part of the issue why people are so enamored with the sidearm throws and the no look passes. People have to understand that the Joe Burrows of the world do not come around often. This, you know, prospect out of nowhere rise to damn near the number one overall pick. 
Like this doesn't happen every single year. And a lot of people are like, well, Joe Burrow was on nobody's radar going into 2019. And then he elevated himself to the number one pick. I'm t- Zach Wilson is not Joe Burrow. He's not Joe Burrow. And I don't think Thor nor I are saying that he does not possess the physical tools to be a good NFL quarterback. I don't think anybody would deny he has the physical tools, but to ignore the fact that the competition he faced was so far inferior than what BYU had to offer to ignore that, to sort of just kind of look past it and and just make this one for one equation that, well, Joe, Joe Burrow did it. So this is Zach Wilson. It's, it's a losing proposition. And I just think that, you know, you're going from Sam Darnold to, I'm, I, I'll just say it here. He very well could be Sam Darnold 2.0. And it wouldn't shock me one bit if that was one of his range of outcomes. How much does Josh Allen's success rate influence this pick, do you think? They look at someone who's sort of like, oh, they're the tools. Those are great tools. If we can harness them, maybe he can be as good as Josh Allen or better. I mean, maybe, but even the thing with Josh Allen, up until that last season, people were ready to to kick him to the curb as well. And then he has an outlier type season, a, a, an incredible season, but they're not even the same type of player. I mean, his arm talent anywhere isn't is not what Josh Allen is. He's not the running that the runner. He's he doesn't have the size of Josh Allen. So uh, I just they're not even comparable players. They both have you know talented arms, but. I do think I just think this is a a really a lot of prisoner of the moment type stuff with Zach Wilson. And for him to jump some of these other quarterbacks, uh, one in particular we'll talk about later, just it really blows my mind. Trent, I, just, just just to hop in really quick uh, to add to that point. If you look at Patrick Mahomes' splits under the exact same criteria that I just gave you in college, he was as good or even a little bit better against the, the, those top-tier teams than he was against the crappy teams. His performance didn't change at all, depending on quality opponents at Texas Tech. And one point about Josh Allen, Josh Allen did have terrible uh, college stats and you know everything like that. We, we made fun of him quite a bit. But when he was off the field in, 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 in the, on that team, like he got injured a couple times the end of, I think it was his last season. Like, you yep. know, yeah. Um, Wyoming's offense essentially went from like what was with Josh Allen. They were something, I, I don't know the exact numbers in front of me, but they were like the, the SP plus like 105th offense out of 130 without Josh Allen, that offense became literally the worst FBS offense I've ever seen. Like it made your eyes bleed. They were basically doing like the Remember Bobby Boucher and the water boy at the bowl game, but Bobby doesn't show up and the offense is just kneeling the whole time, you know, or, you know, on the, on the other side or whatever. It was sort of like that. They, they were just, you know, with their defense with Logan Wilson and stuff like that. They were like in wind gardens and, and those kind of guys, they were just like, Oh, please make this a three to nothing game, you know, kind of a thing. So th- that's the difference to me between an Allen and a Mahomes and the, you know, at least collegially, as far as their profile goes and, and Zach Wilson. Well, San Francisco mortgaged the farm. Not necessarily, I suppose. They have a good infrastructure. They were decimated by injuries last year. So an upgrade at quarterback from day one, from Jimmy G to whoever we end up selecting for them, could make them quite a force in the NFC. Probably to say a rookie QB is all of a sudden a Super Bowl contender, but I think the infrastructure of this team makes it so the quarterback doesn't even need to be great, that if they're slightly above average, that team could be excellent this season. And just looking at the numbers right now at DraftKingsSportsBook.com, Mac Jones is the heavy favorite at minus 170 to be this pick. Then it's Fields, then it's Trey Lance, then it's Kyle Pitts uh, as the number three overall pick by the betting odds. Now, Thor, Mac Jones seems to be the 
one that people are saying are going to San Francisco at this pick. But everyone smart that I follow on the internet said this should be Justin Fields. So what is San Francisco actually going to do? Yeah, what they've done good to this point is keep even the best reporters in, in the industry off of their scent, which, which rarely happens. I mean, to the point where Adam Schefter actually reported they are going to take uh, Mac Jones and, and Peter King came close. Um, and then, you know, Schefter walked that report back after that. And then you saw the odds drop. But like th- this is like a, I'm not going to say it's like a game stop kind of a thing when you're looking at the odds, how they're going with the number three. But it's sort of been like that. You know, it's just they're going up and down, up and down. Like Fields was was the favorite for a little bit then, you know, like after their pro day, when uh, his second pro day throwing, when uh, when Shanahan and, and Lynch went there. Um, and now it looks like Mac might be the the small favorite again. Um, so I don't believe any of, and I even said this at the time, like, you know, I, it, with regards to the Mac Jones report, I said, I will believe the Mac Jones is the third pick when, when Roger Goodell pulls the card out and reads it. Um, I, I, I like, that would be one of the more stunning things to me. Like, even, even if we're set up for it in advance, he, he is not a top three talent. He's not a top 10 talent. So, I mean, like the idea that you would trade three first round picks and a third, which is what San Francisco did to get from 12 to three for a guy like that. When, when guys on the border, you still have Justin Fields and Trey Lance it's absolutely ludicrous um i'm gonna take justin fields here and hope that the the cooler heads uh prevail there and by the way i wouldn't bat an eye at trey lance either um if if they took trey lance i i first of all i wouldn't be surprised i I think he is absolutely in play um but you know and also i I think you know in terms of the slot i I think that that would make more sense than than mac jones and then thinking about the future as far as where those guys could take you um mac jones is ceiling absolute ceiling like if the best case scenario he's kirk cousins you're praying he's kirk cousins um you know more likely it's like andy dalton with with less mobility kind of a thing coming out of tcu is is what he reminded me of uh so 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 the mac jones thing with this pick i'm I'm gonna fade that just and go with common sense um and we'll take justin fields so one vote for justin fields to the niners at three ray are you gonna make it two? Oh man that should, you, you know, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with, with Thor here because I don't even think it should be Justin Fields because Justin Fields should come off the board at pick two, but we know that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, Justin Fields should be the pick here for San Francisco, but I've just got a weird feeling guys that he's going to slip whatever that, and for me, anything past two is a slip for Justin Fields. I don't think he's going to be the pick. He needs to be the pick. I, I believe that's the right call. That's the right pick. But it just seems like from report after report after, you know, erroneous report. Now it's the epilepsy thing. It was he doesn't have passion for the game. He can't read defenses. And I just I don't I don't understand why this happens. I do have my own personal theories as to why this happens year after year. Um, uh, but hey, I, I, Ray, I just Ray, you, you can feel free to say them, my man. <laughs> I, I, I just it's. It's it's a very insidious and malicious, hurtful thing that happens around black quarterbacks. And we see this right as much as we like to talk about uh, the game is changing. We need mobile quarterbacks. The, the NFL game is changing. The, the game that Lamar Jackson goes out there and throws a pick six, they've got the pitchforks out. We need a pocket passer. When Jalen Hurts starts his second career game and goes for under 50% completion percentage, we've seen enough. We don't need him. He's not the answer. Like I said earlier with Josh Allen, up until 2020, people were ready to kick the can on Josh Allen. Like, I just, 
I feel this this schmear campaign and a lot of people say, oh, it's just it's just a tactic so they can push players down the board. Well, it's a very malicious tactic that only seems to impact, uh, you know, minority quarterbacks that that to push them down the board. And I just I think it's bullshit. Uh, there's nothing that I mean, I mean, the kid was one of the highest rated high school recruits of all time coming out of, out of out of high school. He goes to Georgia. He leaves Georgia because of some racial comments made to him. He leaves Georgia, transfers to Ohio State, plays damn near a perfect season where he threw zero interceptions up until the playoffs. Uh, he comes back in 2020. Big Ten's going to play. They're not going to play. Then they're going to play. Then they're not going to play. And he goes out there and plays stellar, has a bad game versus Northwestern. And I mean, leaves everything. Uh, I, this is not hyperbole. Justin Fields' performance versus Clemson is one of the best college football quarterback performances in the history of college football. One of the best individual qu- chills right now thinking about that. He should be the pick. I agree with Thor. Mac Jones' ceiling, I have always comped him to Kirk Cousins. The highest accolade that I've heard about Mac Jones is Phillip Rivers. That's like the highest comp that I've heard. Um, I think they're going to take Mac Jones. I think they knew what they were doing when they made that trade up. And I think they're doing a good job of vetting right now. Um, but I agree. I, I think I honestly believe that Trey Lance is if if it's not Mac Jones, it's Trey Lance. I have a feeling Justin Fields is going to fortuitously slip to a, a an NFL team. I, I just don't think he's going to be the pick, and I don't think it's the right the right move either. Well, I am I'm torn on this, and now I have to decide. I'm going to go with Mac Jones for this pick and side with Ray because it just makes it far more fun than we can start discussing trades about Justin Fields when people try to get up, or even Detroit or something like that to that pick, or maybe Atlanta. Who knows? Now that the guy that a lot of teams do want and have rated very close to Lawrence, not close to Mac Jones, is someone that they can trade up for. But when I think about it, logically, like I try to see the offense that Shanahan is trying to run. Maybe there's a disconnect between John Lynch and Shanahan. I doubt it at this point. But you see some of the mobility stuff they try to do with Jimmy G, whether it's you know, a play action rollout or a QB keeper on a third and one or even on a fourth and two, that having extra mobility in this Shanahan offense, I think, is what takes it to another level. And if we're not going to get that from Mac Jones, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, you know, it's a thing. He wants a guy to to run a system. I guess would be under the auspices of that idea. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm sort of smarter than the game itself. And if you just do what I say, we're we're gonna win. I, I think that would be the. The, the only sort of like under the auspices of that idea that that would be the argument to, for them drafting Mac Jones. Cause you know, that he's not going to paint outside the lines, right? Like, you know, if, if there's one thing that I will say for Mac Jones, uh, you know, he played under a brilliant offensive coordinator in college chief Sarkeesian, um, a good enough play caller that he's now the, you know, the head coach at, at, at Texas and Mac Jones, he, Everything they asked him to do, you know, as far as pre-snap reads, as far as you know, all that sort of stuff, um, get the ball to this dude. He did that, right? And so, like, you know, it's it's impre- you know, whatever. Um, and, and he, in in the inter- the short area, oh, it's the intermediate area. He, there's good accuracy, particularly within within ten yards. Um, but like Mac Jones had something like 600 more yards throwing to open receivers last year than anybody else. D- Devonta Smith and the the way that uh, you know the it, the things were schemed by Sarkeesian got him a lot of free looks and then a lot of yak afterwards. Uh, I, I just you know again for me this this is the classic guy that that should go at like the top of the round two. You know, and if you want to take him at the end of round one, great. But you know that he's going to run the system. You know that his arm is good enough. 
Um, and and athletically, he tested a little bit better than, than I thought he would, but it doesn't manifest in games. And so people that want to project that to get Mac Jones had like negative career rushing yards heading into the national title game um, in college. They take away your sack yardage, but he does not want to leave the pie. There's there even a couple of plays in, in the national title game where there was like 10 yards in front of him. Like he was, he was had sort of moved up in the pocket and could have just stolen 10 free yards. And he, he'd throw to a guy four yards away. Um, so so you're, there's no mobility there, even if there's just, a, you know, sort of a dollop of, of, of athleticism that, that, that showed its way in like in his pro day workouts. And then the arm is it's it's slightly above mediocre. You know, it's like it's it, it's going to be about NFL average, whereas the other four guys in, in you know, the, that we're talking about, their athleticism is, is high, you know, outside of Wilson. You know, he, Wilson's probably in the same phylum, but the, their arms are all significantly better than Mac Jones. So. And, but, but I do agree with Ray, just as far as like reading the, the tea leaves, you know, where we are, I mean, that, you know, that's the favorite for a reason, you know, at, at the book, like you mentioned. So, but yeah, I and would I disagree and, with and, and I don't know where it came from. Like, honestly, I've been one of the more, the more vocal Mac Jones supporters. I've always said that he was, I said, he's going to be a first round pick. I've never envisioned in a million years he'd be a top three pick. I just said he's he's deserving of a first round pick somewhere. I, I, I my go to slot for Mac Jones was like New Orleans at the end of the first to to sit behind you know at the time Drew Brees or sit behind a Tom Brady like that was my sort of dream situation. I don't know what happened between the national championship game, Senior Bowl, in the pre draft process to elevate him to this point. Mac Jones is a good quarterback. He I, I he. He performed exceptional at Alabama with far less talent than Tua ever had, all right? In a shortened season, he broke the NCAA completion percentage record set by Colt McCoy in 2008, QBR record from Joe Burrow in 2019. He holds five of Alabama's top uh, 400-yard passing performances in the history of the school. Like, he's going to go in. He's going to run the offense efficiently. He gets the ball out quick. He makes good decisions. But there's there's – the upside of Lance, the upside of Fields, there really should not be a debate over which quarterback is better, in my opinion. But I do think that, you know, I'm going to follow the money. I'm going to follow the tea leaves. And Mac Jones is probably going to be the pick at three. Well, last question on San Francisco, Ray. If and you guys aren't the only ones that I've seen make the comp that you know the upside is basically Kirk Cousins. If you're going to spend three first-round picks to move up from a spot where maybe you could have gotten Mac Jones anyway, why didn't you just trade one first-round pick for Kirk Cousins? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a good point, uh, Pat. And I'll just say this. I think it was Les Snead, the GM of the Rams, who came out and basically said, First round picks, in his opinion, are overrated. He was like the the bust rate. You know, a lot of people just think just because you have a first round pick, those players pan out. And I believe it was Les Snead saying, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather trade that for somebody we're convicted on. Didn't work out so well for Jared Goff or trade those picks for proven NFL players. And, you know, I don't have the data in front of me, but I do believe there's something that Les Snead said about pretty much. I don't give a shit about first round picks. I'll trade him to go get the guy that I want or go trade him to get the player that I want. So I don't know. Maybe that some of that seeped into um, the, the 49ers to some degree. I don't know. Well, Thor, I think uh, that's a really good point because when people, if 30 teams are all valuing first round picks, like they're this amazing currency, it actually kind of works better to zig the other way and undervalue your first round picks because the amount of return you can get by just adding an extra one on could be so fruitful. And like Ray said, like it's not like these guys are automatic, you know, 
all, not going to say all-star, like all pro players, Hall of Fame players, you know, the bust rate is pretty high, especially when you get at some of the different positions. That It's actually an interesting theory because we see this like even in the NBA at this point. It's like, yeah, have seven first-round picks, whatever. They don't mean anything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure, you know, in, in some ways, but I, I think the the way that the Rams roster construction is is going to go here the next couple of years is uh, is probably going to be the final indictment on Les Needs' uh, opinion on on the matter. You know, they're they're aging in <laughs> in several several different positions. They don't have any cap room. Um, I, I think they're going to be in some real problems soon, and I think it, it's because of that idea. Like for me, I draft picks are they're gold yes there is the bus rate you have to acknowledge that but like the clearest path in the nfl to a championship right now is being right on a first round quarterback because then you got him for five years at well 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 below market value and that extra 20 million 25 million whatever it is every single season all those five seasons you get to put that towards your roster to, to fill your other needs so you know, for me, I, I I guess I would just trust myself more as far as the evaluation. Maybe a guy like Lesney doesn't as much. And, you know, there was a little YOLO going on with San Francisco. I know that, that, that they like to make picks, but that trade just feels very YOLO to me, especially if if, if, if it was made to, to get Mac Jones. Pick number four goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Will they keep this pick, Ray? <clears throat> I think this is where things get interesting. I do think Atlanta wants to desperately trade out of the four hole. Honestly, I, I, I'm going to defer to Thor on this when, when his time comes up to elaborate on this pick, because I do think if they stand pat at four, they're going to take Kyle Pitts. I know there's some talk about Justin Fields or maybe a quarterback. I, if they stay at four, they're going to load up this offense that they're going to say, all right, you know, we got Matt Ryan for another two years. We got Julio Jones maybe in his hamstrings for another two years. Let's just go get it. Let's just load up at the tight end position and just go balls to the wall, just NASCAR type offense and try to outscore everybody in the NFC South. So if they stay at number four, they're going to take the six foot five, 240 pound freak uh, tight end. That is Kyle Pitts his collegiate production. For those of you who don't true, you, you see 770 yards. And I know that doesn't jump off of the page, Collegiate tight ends are not utilized in college. They're just not. They, they just, they're not used anywhere near creative, creatively as they are in the NFL. So for Kyle Pitts to go out there and catch for uh, 770 yards on 40, 45, 46 receptions, it's insane. It's positional versatility, the way that he's used in line, and he's a very underrated blocker. People's like, oh, he's just a wide receiver. He's a tight end, all right? He's got movement skills like an outside wide receiver, but he can block in line. He's too big for cornerbacks. He's too fast for linebackers. I truly think he is going to be an absolute mismatch nightmare and in an offense that wants to throw the ball. And right now, their best running back is probably Mike Davis. Uh, I think this is going to be fun for Atlanta Falcons fans. Although taking a tight end here at pick four, whew, that, that, that's high. It's a high price to pay. But if they keep this pick, it's going to be Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts at number four to Atlanta ahead of any of the receivers, obviously, it's a circumstantial type thing where Atlanta definitely doesn't need any more outside receivers at this point. Russell Gage, not so bad either. Do you think that they keep the pick, Thor? I do, and I, I agree with Ray. Um, I, I think it 
is Pitts. Um, but this scenario is is their best case scenario where Mac Jones goes one above you. You've noticed that you know Atlanta hasn't hasn't traded their pick to this point, even though we already had the first domino with that trade, which basically put Atlanta on the clock as far as fielding calls from the other quarterback needy teams. Because obviously we know there's going to be three quarterbacks go boom, boom, boom. Mac Jones, <laughs> Mac Jones being the third one would be it would be a coup for Atlanta because Atlanta Atlanta has not made that trade yet, which tells me they haven't gotten that godfather offer that that the Dolphins did uh, for, from San Francisco. And so I think a part of that is because San Francisco knew their options, right? I mean, you know, whether they go Mac Jones or whether one of the other two guys, they knew that 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 was going to be their three options, but teams talking to Atlanta, they're just as in the dark about San Francisco's intentions as as we are. And and so some of those teams might be sitting dead red on either Lance or Fields. I'm not sure, you know, if any one of the other ones prefers Mac Jones to them, but, but I would assume that they don't. Um, So I I would assume that this would increase Atlanta's leverage like on the phone in those moments. Uh, But, but I'm guessing for them right now, what it is, is, is um, we're going to take pits unless in those 10 minutes on the clock we get a crazy offer the, the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll toss in is atlanta as far as like teams in the top five six seven eight they make the most sense for trey lance by far trey lance has to sit for one year um atlanta could just transition into the future you know use this as I guess it would be Matt Ryan's last season there, um, and you could groom Lance. That would be the only other thing that I would toss out. I haven't heard anything connecting them to Justin Fields. Um, but, you know, again, I, I agree with Ray. I, you know, if they're sitting here, I, I think that they're going to take Kyle Pitts. All right, Kyle Pitts is going to be the pick to Atlanta at number five. That puts last year's number one overall selectors, the Cincinnati Bengals, on the clock, Thor. Is it a wide receiver? Is it an offensive lineman? What are they doing here? And We expect Joe Burrow to be back to be Joe Burrow S do you try to get him some protection or you get him some weapons yeah so so this is a very binary decision and it has been since the start this is either going to be Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase one or the other um and you know I I think some people you know it 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 probably is a a coin flip as far as outside perception I'm sure that Cincinnati has made up their mind uh there seems to be more steam going towards Jamar Chase and and it would be a fun story reuniting him with with Burrow and stuff like that uh but I I see the offensive line as a far bigger need there um, and I also, you know, I, I don't know, Ray, if you agree with this, but Penny Sewell is the best lineman that I've evaluated in the five years doing this. Uh, Martin's the only one that's close, but, you know, the the position value, I, I, I give it to Sewell. Um, and so, like, for me, he is similar as far as a prospect to, to both, you know, Chase and Pitts, as far as, like, it's not just that they're the best in this class of their position. It's if you went back X number of years, they, they also would be, too. So if, if it's me, I'm going to take Penny Sua. We, we've already seen what, you know, like the, the the downside of having a crappy offensive line in front of Joe Burrow. And people forget at LSU that, you know, you remember all the, the crazy weapons he had, you know, Chase and Jefferson and Edward Z. Lair and, and Terrace Marshall, et cetera, et cetera. He played behind the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line that year in, in 2019. At Alabama won it this, this past season in, in 2020. Um, he Burrow, What Burrow loves, you know, he's talked about this a bunch, four wide, he likes it five wides he loves it he like the way he sees the field spatially you know it's you know the there's like different kind of learners and stuff like that for burrow the, the guys out in space is, is where it clicks for him the best he, the year before in 2018 you saw with lsu when they had the you know it was, it was basically the vestiges of the less miles offense 
they didn't throw nearly as well. Right. Um, and, and then they, they switched it and, and went wide with Brady and, and, and the whole thing changed. However, and yes, the receivers were great, but without an offensive line, a really good offensive line, particularly, you know, in the NFL, uh, you know, if you're going to go four or, you know, five wide, you, you have to be able to protect that guy. So it was a different scenario for, for Burrow in his rookie season, because obviously he's facing a ton more pressure. And that's a kid who, as we know, has a lot of guts. He will stand in the pocket. He'll step into uh, getting hit. To, to get the throw off. I mean, he is ludicrously tough, um, but we don't want to put him in those scenarios to just, you know, constantly be taking these, you know, just bomb shots from guys. So for me, for me, it would be Penny Sewell here. So protection over weapons for Thor. Ray, what about you? 100% on board. I mean, if, if the Bengals draft uh, Jamar Chase or any uh, wide pass catching weapon over Sewell, who for me, Thor, I've only been doing this for three years hands down the best offensive lineman that I've, that I've ever scouted, uh, scouted in three years of doing this. I mean, his, he's, he's incredible at every phase of the game. He's incredible. And he's 20 years old at six foot six, 330 pounds. He's 20 years old, which is insane to me. I mean, this is, you plug him in and he's Anthony Munoz of the, you know what I mean? The, the early Bengals days, right? If they take Jamar Chase, then I am convinced Zach Taylor is a part of the Scott Fishbowl because he wants to play fantasy football. <laughs> There's, did you see the picture of the Bengals in their new jerseys and you zoom in to Joe Burrow standing there and he's got this big-ass scar on his left knee? That is every reason why they better draft Sewell to protect him. I believe at the time that he was injured, he was number one in the NFL and hits taken for a quarterback, sacks, I mean, you've got to protect your franchise quarterback. And I know he's in Ohio. I know LeBron James is from Akron, Ohio. And LeBron James handpicks who he wants to play with. Do not let Joe Burrow do this. Cincinnati fans, do not allow Joe Burrow to go handpick Jamar Chase. You've got Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd. They are fine. Protect him. And here's the thing. They ain't winning next year. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not winning a Super Bowl next year. Secure your offensive linemen. They're, this wide receiver class is deep. Get a, get a wide receiver at the top of the second. I guarantee the pairing of Sewell and whatever wide receiver you get in the second is better than Jamar Chase and whatever offensive lineman is going to be there in the second. You take Sewell. All right. Well, so, yeah. It, it, go ahead. Just to hop in. I, if I was the Bengals brass, you know, I go to Burrow, he, he might be ticked off, you know, that we're not going to take chase. And I, I'd say, look, we're, we're going to get you the best offensive lineman in the last five drafts in the first round. And in the second round, we're going to, we're going to get you a buddy anyway. We're, we're going to get you Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall. Uh, it, it, it looks like Terrace Marshall is going to fall uh, down the board. He, he had, he, he's had a leg issue for a while, you know, like that, that comes and goes or whatever Um, that just, you know, came out and was like a big story or whatever, but it does look like he is going to fall out of the first round. Uh, I can't imagine that he would fall into the middle of the second. He's just too talented. He is very, very similar to T Higgins. You're talking about like long, the, the long outside guys with crazy ball skills downfield. We, you know, we already saw the manifestation of that with, with Higgins working well with him and, and Marshall will be the exact same thing. Boyd on the slot, you fixed your receiving core and you've given Joe Burrow one of his ex-college teammates. So I, I think that would be a, a way to maybe split the middle here. Miami is up next with the number six pick. They traded back from three to, what was it, like a, 
13 or 12 and trade it back up into this spot. So it seems like they want to go and get an offensive playmaker to put with Tua and see if that can work out and go get a legit number one. And then Devontae Parker is number two, starts looking a little bit better. Then you have Mike Gesicki there. Maybe they can harness some of his talent, uh, as we see for like one game a year, every single year. Maybe that can be like three games this year. Who knows? So it's very curious what they're going to do with this number six pick. But Ray, you're up with this. Do the, or sorry, Thor, you're up with this one. Do the Dolphins keep it or do they scan the board and be like, hmm, none of the receivers are off the board yet. Maybe we can move down with a Denver or whatever team wants to move up and potentially draft a quarterback and get even more draft capital out of this? Or is this a situation where they look at it and be like, hey, we've got our draft capital now. We've done really well. We need to start using it. I, I actually do think it was raised here. So I'll be very, very brief because I think we're going to agree on this one. Uh, Miami moved back up the board for, you know, because it was the three, then they were at the 12. But they said afterwards that they wouldn't have made the trade with San Francisco had they not been able in the same deal to get up to six with, with Philly. So it's basically a, a three-team trade. The reason that they did that is there's there's those three uni, non-quarterback unicorns that, that we talked about, Sewell, Chase, uh, and Pitts. They they know guaranteed at six, and they you know they knew back then if, if we get up there, we're going to get one of these guys. Well, one of them has fallen to him, Jamar Chase. This is a very easy pick. Uh, Ray, I yeah. apologize. It was you first on this one, so it's Chase. It, it, it's okay because I mean, there's there's I've got I've got one small thing to add. It's Chase. Chase will be the pick. I, I will just say that last year we thought for sure Ceedee Lamb was going to be the first wide receiver off the board. And the Las Vegas Raiders took Henry Ruggs, just an egregious selection of a, of a draft pick. I, I do think there's a chance, a small chance, if it's not Jamar Chase, I do think an Alabama receiver could come off of the board here and not the one that most people think, not the Heisman Trophy winner. I it just a part of me is like, would they really go Jalen Waddle at six? Small, small chance, but if you take Jalen Waddle over Jamar Chase, that's almost as egregious as taking Mac Jones over Justin Fields. Uh, a gift has fallen to Miami. They they were savvy in this trade, as Thor alluded to. They knew that they were probably going to land uh, Jamar Chase here at six, so they're not going to fuck it up. They're going to take Jamar Chase, and he will be uh, Tua's number one wide receiver probably by week four of the NFL season. Well, this is a good time to ask this question. Ray, we'll start with you. Is Tua any good? Yeah, he's good. I mean, I, I think he's I think he's a fine quarterback. Like, and honestly, Pat, I I said it after he was injured his final season in college. If it were me, I wouldn't have played him at all last year. The, the dude was recovering from an injury that we've rarely seen, or I don't even know if we have seen a quarterback recover from. And I know there's this rush to get rookies on the field. I don't even think we saw the real Tua last season. I think this season we will, it will be more indicative of how uh, we valued him from the time he took over at Alabama until the time he got hurt. I just, I don't think he was all the way there last year. And, you know, outside of Devontae Parker, they really had no weapons to throw to. Gasecki came on here and there. Uh, give him a weapon. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I mean, good grief. In, in a matter of 11 months, we went from tank to Tank for Tua to trash Tua. Like, get, give the kid a shot. Give him a true playmaker. Uh, let him let, a year removed off of that hip injury. I think he's going to be a hell of a lot better in 2021 than he was in 2020. 
Uh, Thor, what do you make of Tua? Like, obviously, knowing what we know now, if you threw him back in this draft, that would work to his disadvantage. But was it a weapon problem? Was it the playbook that just seemed to be completely different between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick a year ago whenever he came into the game? Or is he just kind of not as good as everyone thought? Yeah, well, I think the jury's out on that last question. And I, I agree with a lot of what, what Ray said. You know, it's it, I wouldn't have played him either. And not only that season, like the season before his last year in college when he had like a 33 to 3 TDI and T ratio or whatever, he was hobbled that whole season, like badly. Um, I, I remember like he was scrambling towards the end zone against LSU where normally he just would have been been in easily, you know, but it would have already been a touchdown. But he was like very hesitant. Obviously, his wheel was hobbled and stuff like that. And he fumbled without getting touched like three yards before the end zone. And it was one of the reasons that, that Alabama ended up losing that game. That could have thrown a kink in that entire season if they had beaten LSU. Uh, but like, you know, as Ray alluded to uh, last season, you know, they, they put him, you know, they put him in for, for Fitzpatrick or whatever. You're jerking him around. He's not fully healthy anyway. Uh, and then you go back to Fitzpatrick. It was a weird thing. And then even when uh, Tua was in, it's not just that they had a bad receiving core. It's a receiving core that doesn't work with Tua. So it's not just that they're bad players. They are also ill fits for Tua. If you want to get bad receivers, with Tua, you get the you get the fast guys. You get the guys who can get separation in in the you know especially the intermediate area. That's where he's a killer. You know, it's like he he has the scrambling thing, good vision, um, awesome accuracy in 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 the intermediate area. Not a cannon, you know, but he, I mean, it's his his arm is right around where where Mac Jones is, you know, as far as that goes. But like his special sauce in college was hitting guys on the hands in stride when they were going across the middle of the field, you know, like that in in the intermediate area. We get him those kind of guys. He's going to be just fine. You know, like a great point guard, right? That can also extend the play and do some stuff for him himself. But as far as just, you know, on the money, um, giving his guys opportunities for Yak, um, he, he was one of the better guys that I've seen at that in, in, in the past couple of years. Miami's, uh, again, they're bad, but it's it's populated with these guys that they're they're like the uh, the ball skill guys, you know, like the contested catch guys downfield. Like you just toss it up to him. That ain't to his game. Like you're you're essentially just wasting him with with these guys like you know Preston Wilson and Devontae Parker and all these, you know th those sorts of guys. Um, we need to get him uh, you know again receivers that can that can create uh, any sort of separation in the intermediate area because he will find you he will hit you on the hands and you will get yak afterwards. I still believe in the kid for sure. It's funny that the type of receiving core that you just described sounds almost identical to what Buffalo did for Josh Allen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like when, when people trash too, it, it's unfair on several levels. You know, it, it, it doesn't account for the context of, of his health situation, nor the fact that he was a rookie, nor the fact that he was usurping a popular veteran during a playoff race. And it, it, like there was just a whole bunch of weird stuff going on. But at, like you're saying, like in addition to that, it, it's, it's a, you know, a, a team around you that is just ill suited to, to your needs. We think about this more in like, you know, in terms of like basketball and, and like, you know, in some other sports like that, as, as far as like the complementary pieces, you know, figuring out the complementary anything we don't talk about as much in in this context but um miami needs to totally redo their receiving core um because to his game will play up more and more and more uh the more that you get guys that, that create that separation in the middle of the field and what you said about buffalo points well taken it's it, 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 it that's a really good point um because not only they you know they, they got the intermediate guy and then they also got the guy to take the top off and, and so like you know with alan 
going back to the spacing thing, you know, thinking about it like a basketball game, Allen could already stress you uh, horizontally because of, because of just his legs, you know, and, and running, you know, enormous guy running, you know, like a tight end, super athletic tight end, but also down the field. Cause you got a bazooka. So, so you already had the spacing, right. And then if you just got a killer in the intermediate area, he was going to absolutely d- destroy it. You know, assuming that Allen's accuracy could get you know good enough to just get that dude, the ball. And of course it did, you know, he took another leap up in that. And now Buffalo's offense is really interesting because you can't play up on them. Um, like you, you, you have to give them leeway back and that, that creates uh, sep- the separation in the intermediate area that, that, that we're talking about with them. And by the way, we'll, we'll get to them later, but uh, one of the very few teams that could potentially look at running back in the first round is, sort of elevate that thing up even more well it's funny Ray like I put the comparison to Josh Allen but it was the same thing that basically happened a bit before with Cam Newton in Carolina when they went on their huge run obviously their defense was very good but when Cam the year that he won the MVP they had this idea it's like oh well Cam kind of skies a lot of his throws so let's get all these like big dudes who were super tall and then that won't be a problem anymore and then you see when McDermott goes from Carolina to Buffalo that's almost the exact same thing Buffalo had in place and when Cam got really good it was like you know Jericho Cotri and Ted Ginn were the type of guys that he made look really good. Guys that can get instant separation, Cam can throw into the window, and they can go do the rest after the catch. Where when you have these stiffs like Funches out there that... I mean, I think Buffalo even went and got Devin Funches like three years ago for Josh Allen. Like, that's not doing the guy any favors. It's amazing whenever coaches start to, you know, build around the skill set of the quarterback they have. Uh, that that it really opens things up for those players. So I, I'm with Thor. I think the overreaction to Tua, give him some weapons, let him heal up. I think one of the better things for him is good as Brian Fitzpatrick was uh, to be in the locker room with him as a veteran leader standpoint. People, he's beloved, man, and they're jerking him on and off of the field. You got Fitzpatrick there. The dude's hip is still busted up. He's thrown to Jakeem Grant and all these other random ass wide receivers. Let him have, let him have a full off season. Let him be the starting quarterback and give him Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase to Miami at number six. That puts the Lions on the board at number seven. So Ray. Are the Lions staying here? And Justin Fields has now dropped in our mock draft. Are people trading up for this pick? Or does Detroit look at the situation and be like, we have Jared Goff, uh, we might need a quarterback? Well, Pat, I'm about to get this draft back on the rails because this is Thor's pick, and I don't want it. So, Thor, you can gladly have the pick right here for Detroit Lions, brother. It's all you. Yeah, so so let's let's talk through the you know the diff- different decisions that they could go with this one. Obviously, with the the two quarterbacks on the board, I don't think they'll take one with God, or that at least that that's what their preference is. You know, with God, I, I think they want to see for for a season, and their receiving core is is absolutely dreadful right now. And so, I, I think if if you're going to stay here. It's for Devonta Smith. Um, but of course, if both of those quarter, you know, it's just what we talked about a little bit ago, you know, as far as like Atlanta, it'd, it'd be the same situation here where both of those quarterbacks are, are still there. So you're going to have teams, you know, looking to try to get up, um, you know, so, so they could see what, you know, w- what's out there. The, the one thing for them, though, is even to trade down to nine with Denver, this is something they would have to think very hard about if the board fell this way, because Chase is already off the board. And if you think about I mean, some people disagree, like if you have Devonta Smith and Waddle, like right on the same level 
then you could do the trade back. Um, but if you don't, if, if you see, you know, if, if you see it the other way where it's like Devonta and, and Jamar are, are, you know, right there, you, you almost have to take Devonta here if you want him, because if you even trade to nine, you're going behind Carolina and Carolina might just steal Devonta from you right there. You know, Denver takes a quarterback and then they, they take Devonta. But again, you know, if, if it's close, that's something that you could easily do because you know that there's not two receivers that are going to go in between. So, you, you know, you could just, you know, take Waddle or whatever at, at, at nine. I, I think they, they're going to look for a trade. They, they absolutely want to trade. The reports have been out there. They're looking for a trade. You know, they're, they're almost panhandling for a trade at, the, at this point. They, they want it bad. And, and again, talk about a perfect scenario for a team where, where both of the quarterbacks are there. So any team that's interested in either one of those, um, they have the impetus to go up. Maybe you can play, you know, Denver and, and New England off, you know, off of one another. Um, are we going to go, Pat, let, let me ask you, last year we did trades. Are, 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 we, are we opening this up for trades? Are we going to stay, stay in the slots? Sell me on a trade and I'm in. So, so I think right here, it would make a lot of sense for Denver to try to, you know, I mean, just a little bit to try to, to move up the two. I don't think that Detroit would want to go down further than that because you put yourself at risk of missing both of those receivers. They could go to an ancillary need for sure. But like if you fall down, even New England pick, for instance, if 15, I don't think New England's going to trade up for a quarterback, but that's that's been something that's been bandied about. But if you go back there, all three receivers are probably going to be off the board. And then you have to audible to one of these other, you know, secondary sort of needs. Well, literally would be the secondary. I, th- I think JC Horn, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be a guy like that. Um, but I think, you know, again, with, with Denver, so, you, you know, maybe Denver tosses them, you know, a, a second round pair, a third round pick, something like, you know, a day two pick uh, just to hop up the two spots. Detroit is still guaranteed one of the two Alabama receivers at nine. I think that they would do that. So Thor is throwing out a trade from Denver from nine to seven to swap with Detroit. Ray, can you get behind that? Yeah, because I don't think I, – I really do believe they want to get to that seven spot because I think at pick eight, Carolina makes a lot of sense for a trade too. And if they – you know, I, I I think they do make this – they have to make this move. And, you know, the way that our mock has played out and if the uh, the NFL odds makers have it right and Mac Jones is the pick at three – Denver's got to be looking at Justin Fields saying, you know what, we will gladly give you a third this year and hell, maybe even a second round pick next year to move up two spots and grab Justin Fields, who I think if, if they make the trade, that would be the player that they're making the trade for. So Denver with a seventh overall pick selects Justin Fields with Ray. Thor, are you behind that? I am. Although the the one thing I will say, we've seen with John Elway as far as taking quarterbacks that that he just you know sort of like you seen with Mayock in the first round of his you know his first two drafts last two years where he's just like I don't care what y'all's board is I fell in love with this guy like Yolo and we all kind of make fun of him afterward. The Seahawks do this kind of too, but Elway is like that with quarterbacks. He he has made some very wacky uh, quarterback picks. You know, Lid should also you know like different guys like that, the projectable kind of guys that he thinks he can turn around. It's sort of like Michael Jordan when he was you know making personnel decisions yep. the NBA. You know he he. he he thinks he can be the missing piece there with Trey Lance, you know, just dreaming on him. I, I could see Elway, you know, just being like, I'm, I, you know, this is the dude and, you know, I can help him and, you know, whatever. Uh, but Justin Fields makes by far the most sense, you know, like I have him ranked above uh, Lance as I know uh, uh, Ray does too. So I, I'll agree with, with Justin Fields. All right. So Justin Fields is the pick to Denver at number seven. That leaves us number eight. At Carolina, and I actually wrote this down, so I remember who to throw to now. Ray, it's your pick. (laughs) Yeah, and I think Carolina right now, they are desperately entertaining calls right now because the last quarterback is on the board, 
and it's Trey Lance. So now you have to think what, what teams could potentially trade up. You've got the bears, maybe the Patriots. I don't know the history of new England and in, in moving up to make picks like that. Uh, and then the Washington football team, do they really have enough at pick 19 to move up into the top 10? Uh, does new England, is that something that they do? I, I don't really know Chicago. They do a lot of dumb shit. So I can definitely see them uh, giving up a ton because weren't they in the sweepstakes for, or at least there were reports that they want Russell Wilson. They wanted Deshaun Watson. Um, so I do think if Carolina is going to make a trade, I think Ch Chicago is the likeliest candidate to move up. And uh, if that happens, I do believe it will be Trey Lance. Now, if we're making the pick here at eight, Carolina's on the board. I believe last year they went defense the entire draft. Like they drafted straight defense from, from start to finish uh, with this new Matt Rule, Joe Brady regime. They just bring in Sam Darnold. Christian McCaffrey is back. You've got DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I think they try to do everything in their power to make their trade of, for Sam Darnold look correct. And they try to improve their offensive line. And if I'm going to make this pick for Carolina, I think Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle, offensive lineman out of Northwestern would make sense for them here. Um, so I'm going to slide in uh, Rashawn Slater, uh, O-lineman from Northwestern. Rashawn Slater to the Panthers at number eight. Thor, agree or disagree? I So I, I do agree that it would be either Slater or Devonta Smith. I, I think at this point, you know, if, if it goes like this, you could go either way with it. And, you know, I was talking before about, you know, the the ascendance of, of Joe Burrow and how that happened under Brady, you know, with, with obviously Joe Brady is, is in Carolina right now. They need to fortify two things to get that passing attack up to help out Darnold. You know, like Ray was mentioning, if you want Darnold to, you know, if, if you think he could make a, a similar type jump, that's what you have to do in, in that system is the offensive line's got to be rock solid so that you can put guys in space, right? Because you're, you're not going to have many guys protecting. Um, so it, it'd be one of the two. I, I think it'd be really hard for for Brady if, if he was at the room. You, he might be advocating for, for Devonta Smith. But Rashawn Slater is, he's an unimpeachable offensive line prospect. You can nitpick him on the left tackle stuff. Um, you might not be able to uh, once we get into the season, but you can right now, um, you know, just because of the length thing, that's it. He, he has 33-inch arms, which, you know, like makes him essentially, you know, league average or slightly above as far as length for a guard. However, with guys like that, uh, when you're projecting them to the NFL at left tackle, guys with the shorter arms, the less length, what I want to see is that they shut down uh, NFL edge rushers. And if they shut down stud NFL edge rushers in college, even better. And that's what Slater did. He, he shut down a procession of studs in the Big Ten, the most famous case being being uh, uh, Chase Young. But, you know, Kenny Willekes and, you know, I mean, all the different guys that, you know, these edge rushers that we've seen come in one after the other Slater took them down. So, I mean, we know that he can, you know, handle the edge as far as like speed and stuff like that and can mitigate the, the lack of length, even against stud, stud, stud. Upper, I mean, like Chase Young, obviously, is one of the better athletes we've seen at, you know, at edge 20 years or so. Um, and so, like, you know, with, with that stuff. But even if, you know, let's just say that it, it does, you know, some something doesn't work in, in translation. Um, almost assuredly, he, he would succeed at right tackle or he's going to be a Pro Bowl guard. So. So it's like either way, the beauty of a prospect like that, it's like the concept of, of baseball where it's like you allow the guy to fail down the defensive spectrum, right? Like you have like a big shortstop that like, you know, hits a bunch of home runs that you draft in the amateur thing. But it's like, oh, you know, could a six, four guy be really be a shortstop in, in the major leagues? 
you let him fail down the spectrum, right? You start him in rookie ball. And if he keeps succeeding, you let him go up. But you know, if, if at some point he proves he can't play shortstop, then you, you know, you either kick him to, you know, third, second center field. And then if he doesn't, you know, you fail him down the spectrum. And I think that's what, you know, you could do with Slater as well. Um, but I do think he's going to be a stud left tackle in, in the NFL. Cause I already seen it at, at Northwestern. He proved he was a stud athlete at, at his pro day workout as well. So um, I, I'll agree with Slater, but but I think you need to keep Joe Brady out of the room because he, he he's going to want Devonta Smith quite bad quite badly. Well, it's two for two, so Slater is going to be the pick to the Carolina Panthers. Now Detroit is back on the board after their trade. Now at number nine, you were the one who proposed this trade. We accepted Thor. So who's Detroit taking at number nine? Yeah, so this is of course the best case scenario. You know, this is you know what we talked about with Detroit only wanting to move back a couple. You need the receiver really, really bad in this scenario. They they luck out because Carolina doesn't take it, so you, you can take the guy that that you were going to take anyway in in Devonta Smith, which you know obviously that that fills a need, but you know in addition he also seems like uh, uh, what would you say a culture you know sort of a you know a nod to culture I guess you know with, with their new administration and that new coach talking about kneeing off people's kneecaps and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, as, as far as a receiver, De- Devante, everyone around him just raves about his work ethic, you know, and his attitude and, you know, he competes and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. It seems like that would be a fit for that. And just because I don't have anything to add there, I wanted to clean up the trade so we can get the official things. I, I pulled up the trade chart, Pat. I, I want to make this this very official. Uh, so so Denver's pick, the, the nine slot, it's 150 points less uh, than Detroit's slot uh, at, at seven. Um, Denver's third round pick at 71 overall is worth 235 points. That would be more than enough. Um, and, and they might even get a sweetener back, you know, a late, a late round pick back, but certainly the third round pick would be enough, uh, you know, to, to justify the two spots up the board. Okay. So where do you think that we're going with this pick right now that Detroit is on the board? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it, it, it would be one of the two Alabama wide receivers. And I think Devonta Smith fits the profile of at least the number one wide receiver. We know Kenny Galladay is no longer there. You, you're, they're not rolling into the season with Quintez Cephas as the, <laughs> as the guy or who they have, Bashard Perryman that came in. I, I don't know who else they, uh, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. If they're sitting here at nine and Devonta Smith is here, then they are taking Devonta Smith with Jamar Chase off of the board. And, you know, I, listen, golf is golf. He is who he is. But what he will be able to do and what Devonta Smith was able to do, and Sark really illustrated that and highlighted it last year, is play all over the offense, right? He can play in the slot. He can play out wide. It doesn't matter. So they will move him around. And I think that offense will run through DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, and Devonta Smith. So, you know, for as for as bad as it sounds, I mean, you know, they'll probably be looking at a quarterback next year, but at least the pass catching weapons and the skill position players in Detroit with those three as the core wouldn't be bad at all. So they get their guy that they would have taken at seven. They pick up a couple of extra picks and they move on. Okay. Dallas Cowboys, here we go. On the clock at number 10. Who does Jerry want, Ray, with this pick? Is he going to make a splash? Um, Is he going to go with one of the few players in the draft who have ties to NFL players from 20 years ago already? I don't know. It's uh, I can see a lot of things happening here. Well, I, I'm I'm here, and I listen to um, some bad sports talk radio here <laughs> in the in the great city of Dallas, and I know that there is so much hype around Kyle Pitts, so much hype. And then this 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 report or video just came out where Jerry Jones is gushing over Kyle Pitts. 
Um, if Dallas trades up to get Kyle Pitts, it, it will be an egregious move. Uh, they don't need a tight end. I think Kyle Pitts would be a luxury for the Dallas Cowboys. They desperately in every single way need as many defensive players as they can possibly get. And they have a love affair of Alabama Crimson Tide players. They took Trayvon Diggs last year in the second round. I think he's going to be a really good cornerback in the future. Um, you know, Byron Jones in Miami, Ch Chidobe Uzie not really working out there. I think the pick for me, J.C. Horn is my quarterback one, but I think they will take uh, a, a rock-solid prospect, a safe prospect, and I think he's going to be a really good cornerback in the NFL. They're going to take Patrick Sertain the second to shore up uh, that pass catch, that 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 defensive backfield. Um, they need it in the worst way. They 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 really really do. And Sertain, uh, he we we've seen him defend against number ones. We've seen him be a shutdown quarterback. He's big, he's physical, he can tackle. So I think this makes a lot of sense. The only other thing that I could see them doing is if Rashawn Slater did not, uh, if he's not drafted in the top 10 and they're sitting here and Slater's here on the board at 10, Listen, uh, Tyron Smith is getting older. I don't believe Connor Williams' true position is inside. He's just too thin to play guard. We see him get manhandled constantly at, at the guard position. So if Slater's on the board at 10, I do think there would be a conversation there. But if not, it's going to be a cornerback. And I'd say right now, if I had to bet on it, it'd be Patrick Sertain the second. Thor, I need Horn to be the first defensive player drafted to win a bet. So I hope that's going to be the case, but it doesn't sound like that's – if it's Dallas who has to make this decision, I kind of agree with Ray on this one. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I think for, for Dallas, they'd be doing backflips if, if Sertan fell. It, it, it just makes so much sense as far as need, as far as fit, as, as far as everything. Um, Jerry's probably going to love the bloodlines as well. He likes players from blue blood schools too. So so a lot of that stuff makes sense. And just speaking to the, uh, the, the pits thing, to, to get from 10 to – uh, four, which is what you'd have to do. It's a discrepancy of 500 points in, in the trade chart. That's more than Dallas's second pick at, at 44. Uh, the second round pick, that's worth 460. So basically, if you're going by the trade chart, they'd have to give up. It'd be like a second and a and a four additionally uh, to, to get up there. And so, so they probably wouldn't have to give up a, a future first. But still, the, you have too many needs there to do that, especially like Ray was mentioning uh he he would be a, a luxury. I mean, like you know, a, a high end luxury, you know, like like having a private jet sort of a thing. But w when you have these enormous needs on the other side, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to try to score 50 points every time you're going to try to be like, I mean, at that point, they should just hire Cliff Kingsbury and try to kick it, kick it back to the Texas Tech days, which I'm sure, you know, Jerry watch, you know, close by there in Lubbock uh, because they're going to be giving up a, a crap ton of, of points. Last year, we talked about it was the same thing. In fact, we probably did it on this show, you know, where we're talking about like, you know, they have to address the secondary whether it's cornerback or safety and jerry got the you know the eyes as big as saucers when uh when cd lamb fell down there uh that was a unique uh sort of a thing where they didn't have to trade up you know like he just sort of fell into their laps kind of a thing um to, to do this thing for pitts not only would you have to askew that you know your defensive back need in the first round you're also by definition going to be doing so in the second round because you're not going to have a second round pick and then you wouldn't have a fourth round pick either you know ostensibly if it, if it was a trade like that so you wouldn't be picking again until the third round by that point the cornerbacks are are all going to be, you know, picked apart uh, or, you know, picked off or whatever and safeties as well, you know, if they want to look, you know, back there as well. So I, I think Sertan, it makes a, a ton of sense, you know, 
and you know, it looks like there's a decent shot that he's going to fall to you. The, the couple teams ahead of them could look at, at Sertan for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I you know, the, the way that we have it, um, Dallas takes Sertan. They might look at Horn as well. It's just that, you know, in, in, in terms of ceiling, I, I, I think that they're fairly close, you know, in terms of that, but it's just the floor on, on Sertan. It, it's just so high. That kid, not, he had the most uh, snaps the last three seasons of, of, of any defender that you're any defensive back in this class. But not only that, a ridiculous amount more snaps than the, than the next guy in terms of press man snaps. And like Ray mentioned, it, it wasn't just, you know, his experience in that. And, and, and that was coming off of, you know, certainly, you know, 18 years of tutelage under, under Patrick Sertan senior, who's now one of the, the, the country's best high school football coaches down in Florida. Um, but then, you know, you, you go to Alabama and, and not only were, was he sort of studying under Nick Saban and, you know, the grandmaster and, you know, his, his, his ridiculously overqualified, you know, analyst and, and all that sort of stuff, but he also got, the experience and not only that he dominated in the experience he he went up against a procession of of, of number one receivers in college you know in, in the sec and and just shut most of them down he very rarely got taken um just so few um uh, weaknesses in his game you know right off the line he he gets on you and you're going where he wants you to he's like a funnel he'll funnel you right towards the sidelines and all of a sudden like two seconds you know since the snaps you know gone off you you've already put the wide receiver in a very bad position um and he's got all the athleticism and length to stay with him from there cutting down his options um and he can seem to guess the routes of, of where the guy's going you know just it's probably like that malcolm gladwell thing at ten thousand reps he's just been you know seen it and you know both in the experience and, and, and on tape as well um I, I like patrick Sertan a lot i think he's the best defender in the class not just defensive back if you're a fellow whose resting body temperature rivals that of Las Vegas pavement mid-July, standard antiperspirants probably don't give you much relief. But before you resign yourself to a life of perpetual pit stains, know this, Duke Cannon dry ice cooling antiperspirant is made for guys who run uncomfortably hot. Its moisture and friction activated cooling system is formulated with menthol to give you an all day sensation of standing under an air conditioner cranked to high, not a heat lamp stuck on broil. Available in refreshing menthol and eucalyptus and peppermint and musk scents, dry ice uses activated charcoal to effectively combat sweat and stank. And with the highest level of odor and wetness protection allowable, you'll last longer in the heat and your t-shirts will too. Dry ice cooling antiperspirant, that's the menthol and eucalyptus, 2.6 ounces, $12 each. It has the menthol to deliver instant cooling with a distinctively fresh scent enriched with activated charcoal to remove toxins while deodorizing moisture and friction activated cooling system that keeps you cool in the highest again allowable sweat protection same goes for the peppermint and musk 2.6 ounces $12 each if your internal thermostat feels like it's perpetually set to sauna pick up a stick of duke cannon dry ice cooling antiperspirant it'll feel as refreshing as jumping naked into a frigid lake without the risk of frostbite on your undercarriage. Visit DukeCannon.com and use promo code MAYO for 10% off your next order. Plus, get free shipping with orders over 20 bucks. A curated collection of Duke Cannon products are also available at select Target stores. As you know, I've been trying to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food and realized I basically can't eat anything anymore, so I just started eating unhealthy foods again. But... 
enter some Magic Spoon. Of course you know about Magic Spoon. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories per serving, too. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And we've got some exciting news. Magic Spoon has released a super delicious new flavor, Birthday Cake. Sounds incredible. Birthday Cake Magic Spoon will be available in a special five-pack for a limited time only, so get it while you can. Or build your own box. Available flavors to build your own custom bundle are coca, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. I would just get all fruity because it rules. And if you're listening from Canada, where I listen from, Magic Spoon now ships there as well. Essentially, it's this. Magic Spoon is a great breakfast. It's a great snack. Whatever you want, it's just delicious. I come home after work. I'm not looking to carb up even before I eat dinner. The kids are running around. I don't have 30 minutes to make something like super fresh in terms of like vegetables and all that. That's very time consuming. I got to watch the kids and I'm starving at this second. Magic Spoon. It works. It's delicious. Go get it. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab the new limited edition birthday cake or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And be sure to use our code mayo, that is M-A-Y-O, for those of you who don't know how to spell mayo because you're morons, at checkout to save $5 off this order. This order is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code, that's MAYO, at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it, for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. We've done the first 10 picks of the mock draft so far. So we have Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, Mac Jones, Pitts, Sewell, Chase, and with Denver trading up two picks, taking Justin Fields, Carolina gets Slater, now Detroit back gets Smith, and Dallas, Patrick Sertain. So that leaves us at number 11 on the clock is the New York Giants. Thor, we're going to speed this up a little bit now because we have a lot of picks left to go. Uh, who are the Giants taking? So some people have talked about like uh, a receiver. I, I just don't see that with the money that they already put into that position this off season, you know, to add to the couple guys that they had coming back. So I, I, I don't see that for, for me. Um, I would, you know, if I'm them, I, I would, I would look at uh, the defense um, specifically edge or cornerback. Um, and, you know, if, if, if Slater fell down, maybe, especially because of Gettleman's fetish, you know, with, with the trenches, but I'm not sure if Darisaw is enough uh, to convince them to, to, you know, to sort of look away uh, from the defense. So I think this is where you're either going to, see the first edge guy off the board or perhaps jc horn um i think that jc horn is a better uh, value at this spot and so i'm going to go with jc horn for the giants ray what are the giants going to be doing with their pick at number 11 overall yeah i really really want to say edge i, I really want to say edge rusher uh getting pressure on the quarterback but in a division that's, you know, Philadelphia is going to upgrade their passing attack. We've seen Washington, what they did with Curtis Samuel, and they've got Terry McLaurin in Dallas with that three-headed monster of, of Lamb, Cooper, and Gallup. Uh, New York, they need they need a, 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 a cornerback in the worst way. And, you know, I think they're going to be happy if it's J.C. Horn or Sertain. 
Uh, but right here, I think they make sort of a need slash divisional need move, and they do take. Uh, I, I'm I'm fine with JC Horn here because it's either cornerback. They're they're not going wide receiver. They just brought in Galladay. They're not going receiver. Uh, so I'm fine with this pick uh, of JC Horn. So JC Horn goes to the Giants at number eleven. Uh, after what we saw, what Bradbury was able to do for them last year, they could have a pretty decent secondary moving forward in a division where you expect a lot of aerial shenanigans to be going on. So I like it. Number twelve. 12 Philly is up next and Ray all of a sudden a receiver has dropped to them (laughs) yeah and I don't think it's the receiver that they may have thought would drop here at pick 12 and I I think part of uh, Philadelphia will be not as happy or enthralled that Devonta Smith didn't make it to him at 12 but they'll pair uh, Jalen Hurts up with uh, with another receiver that he played with in college, and they will take, if he's on the board, I think Jalen Waddle right here, the slide for Waddle Falls. It's kind of weird because, I mean, you know, they, they've got these kind of, you know, Jalen Rager's not the biggest wide receiver, doesn't fit the prototypical X role, even though he played there, which was kind of weird watching last year. Now you got Jalen Waddle, who, I mean, he's, they do similar things, him and Jalen Rager. I meant they're they're, they're damn near the same player. Now, Waddle's got a lot more juice and more acceleration, but they're, they're still these undersized slot speedsters that you just want to get their ball in their hands. Uh, maybe. Uh, they're not taking a quarterback here. There's no quarterback to take. Uh, they're going Jalen Waddle here in this mock at 112. So Waddle to Philly. Thor, do you agree? I do. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, we talked before about why Miami uh, got up to six. So then you think about, you know, why, what went on in Philly's head that, you know, they, they would accept the future first round pick uh, to move to, to 12. And I think, you know, the idea was one of those two Alabama receivers is going to be here, you know, if, if, our best case scenario, we get to choose from both, but if, if nothing else, it, it really does seem like, like one will get here. Um, and so in this case, you, you take Waddle, but Ray's point is, is very well taken. I, I think they would absolutely prefer Smith because there's a redundancy of of, of, of skill set or re, a redundancy of what Waddle and, and Ragor does. Um, I, I don't think that nullifies, you know, the idea of taking Waddle, but that really hurts Ragor. Um, a lot of the things that they were projecting Ragor to do um, when, when Waddle's at the building, um, Ragor is going to be pushed way down the pecking order and he's going to have to figure something out. He's going to have to start catching the ball, um, you know, and, you know, real quick um, because, you know, he, he could be, you know, just viewed as superfluous really quickly, but because of the way that his rookie season went, that's, a, that's a big part of the reason why the, the Eagles is top need by far is, is wide receiver. So you can't count on him. You know, I mean, like I, I, the, the, the book's still out and I'm, I'm not giving up on Ragor, um, but in this scenario, this is a three-headed uh, receiver class for the Eagles. You you might be you know getting calls at this point because because Trey Lance you know the, the way that we have it he he's still on the board. But I, I agree with Ray. I, I don't expect the Eagles to take a quarterback. It seems like you know if if that was even in their head they wouldn't have traded from six to twelve. When that when that thing went down that was their decision of for one year we're we're going to put all the pieces around hurts as, as many as we can. And, you know, and I, th- I think a big part of that idea again was taking the receiver at, at 12. And so, you know, e- even with a guy like Lance falling down, I, I don't think that they take him. And also, you know, as far as a trade possibility, I also don't think that they would trade down again because, you know, again, where we are right here, it's just water on the board. You trade down, he's going to be gone. So, you know, so, so then, you know, if, if you want to address the receiver thing, even, you know, seven, eight spots back, it's, it's going to be like, you know, Bateman and Marshall and Kadarius Tony. There's a huge drop. So, so you, you have to take Waddle here. 
Ray, do you think that this is an open season for a potential trade? It doesn't seem like Thor is leaning that way with their, whether or not they would trade back down again. But if you're building a team around Hurts, building an offense around Hurts, and let's not pretend like the Eagles' defense was any good last year. It was not. So you could use some draft capital here if there's a lot that you would want to do, isn't there? Yeah, but I, I agree with Thor. I really think they want to see they're going to give Jalen Hurts every opportunity to give them reason to commit to him long-term. I mean, this is a shot. 2021 is the Jalen Hurts show. Fade all the ridiculous stuff about open quarterback competition with Joe Flacco. It's Jalen Hurts. And in order to do that, yeah, I know, laugh. In order to do that, you've got to give him, you've got to give him weapons. And I, I was president of the Jalen Rager fan club, and things did look good early on i mean by all accounts he was fantastic and in, in camp but i mean the eagles fell apart from top to bottom he was hurt wasn't catching the ball they're using him outside as this x wide receiver um I, I don't think they trade back i think they, they they're here at 12 knowing that they're going to get one of these three uh wide receivers well not chase but you know devonta smith and potentially jalen waddle they're gonna they're gonna take the wide receiver to help jalen hurts to help them figure out if jalen hurts is really going to be the quarterback of the future Thor, that puts the Los Angeles Chargers on the clock. Is this a spot to get Justin Herbert some protection? And we already have two offensive linemen off the board. So what would be the gap between the top two and all the other O-linemen here? This is this is a very, going back to the trade thing, this would be a fascinating decision because just like with the Eagles we talked about, there was one guy left in that tier that they needed before it dropped off. If, if you're the, the Chargers looking at offensive line, and, and that's what they're sitting dead red on. And, and by the way, they need both. It's like the Vikings. They need multiple starters on the offensive line, not just one. Um, and so in this case, you have Christian Derrissaw, who's fallen there, who's the last of the top three tackles. Uh, and Vera Tucker's still there. I don't consider him a tackle for reasons we can talk about uh, when, when he ends up going. But those those two guys are, are very good. Um, you, you could pop one of them here, of course, and I think they would if, if they stayed in the slot. But they're going to get a lot of phone calls. If, if Trey Lance or, you know, or Fields, you know, whichever one of the, you know, if one of those guys ends up falling down, th these teams in this alley are going to start to get a lot of phone calls. Cause, cause this is where, you know, I mean, whether it be new England, whether it be Chicago, whether it be Washington, the cost, uh, I mean, B Belichick is sort of, you know, miserly with his, his picks anyway, but like the other teams, the cost to get into the top 10 from where they're sitting would be too prohibitive. Cause you're, you know, Washington and Chicago are probably going to stink next year. You can't leverage yourself in the way that the Texans did by trading, you know, even one future first round pick. Cause it may end up being the third pick, which is how the Dolphins turned that into multiple more first round picks, stuff like that. Uh, but like, again, I, I think the Chargers are going to get a lot of calls here um and, and i think a trade down would make sense um there's you're going to take a risk here you know with, with the offensive lineman and, and certainly if they've fallen completely head over heels in love with christian derisaw they would have to pop him but if they have any question whatsoever um the chargers have more needs than you know again just with the offensive line i mean th there's more outside of that but just on the offensive line you you have you know at least two needs right we want two starters so i, I think it would make a lot of sense to move down if you're willing to uh, uh, sacrifice Derisaw, which is essentially what what the thing is going to be. I'm going to propose another trade, Pat, if you don't mind. Let's hear it. What, what, okay, so, so who trades up. I'm going to go with the Bears. So, so the Chargers, the, their pick at, at 13 is worth 1150. The the Bears is worth 850 at 20. The Bears can make that up uh, with their second round pick. 
Um, and, and so that, you know, it's a pretty easy one there. Their second round pick is worth 380 points. Um, you, you're going to have to pay, you know, perhaps a little, you know, it's like 80 points extra for, for that or whatever, but you know, that's the way that these things work moving up in the draft. So uh, the bears trade their first and second round pick to the chargers uh, to move up, to take a quarterback and they're going to be taking Trey Lance. Okay. Ray, do you think that they keep the pick? Because you we can go with that, and we can go with an offensive lineman. But you can agree to this trade right now. I, I agree with this trade. The only reason that I wouldn't is if Slater somehow fell to them. Agreed. I do think there's a tear break. Uh, I, and listen, there's some other offensive linemen that I like in this draft. I mean, we, we're talking about Darisaw. I like Tevin Jenkins. I like him a lot. He's a real nasty. I think he's probably better suited inside, but his size looks like he's going to play outside at, at, at a tackle spot, maybe right tackle. But here, I think the Chargers are probably bummed that Slater's not on the board. They trade back a little bit. They're still going to get one of those, you know, second tier offensive linemen uh, because you know, they need the help. They they desperately need the help up front. And the Bears. This is a perfect. I mean, you know, the, Trey Lance is from that area. I know he's, you know what I mean, that he's kind of closer to home. Uh, you know, he's he's in a situation where he does not have to play right away. They've got the the red rifle and Andy Dalton there to, you know, he at, at this point of his career, that's what he is. He's a bridge quarterback. Makes a ton of sense for the Bears, ton of sense uh, uh, for the Chargers to move back. So I would agree with this trade. Please, Judge Mayo, let the Commissioner Mayo, will, will you allow this to go through, Commish? <laughs> well, here's the problem. I don't have my vaccine yet, so I can't hug all the people coming onto the stage like Roger Goodell, but you know, I'll have to give like a social distance. High five to Trey Lance. Number 13 to the Chicago Bears after the trade. That is the pick. We're moving to number 14. Ray, now Minnesota's sitting there, and there's still offensive linemen available. Maybe it's an edge rusher. I don't know. Yeah, and for me, the way that I'm projecting the Vikings, they listen, Kurt's the quarterback. You got Dalvin at running back. You know what we have at wide receiver. I think they've got to do a better job up front. That offensive line is not very good. Um, and, you know, we heard Thor talk about a couple of guys. Darisaw, I mentioned Tevin Jenkins. I'm a big Tevin Jenkins fan. So right here at the uh, at the 14th pick, I do think Minnesota goes offensive lineman. Vera Tucker, uh, not yet. I don't think I'd spend a top 15 pick on Tucker, even though I'm a, a USC Trojans fan. But Thor, I'm going to defer to you because I know that's your neck of the woods, brother. So you <laughs> tell me which offensive lineman they're taking. But I, hey, Commissioner Mayo, I'm calling in the card for Tevin Jenkins, offensive lineman out of Oklahoma State. So there, there's no truth to the rumors that I, I made that Chargers pick to allow one more offensive line to drop that. There's absolutely no rumors to that. That's that is erroneous and false. Um, I think the Vikings would take. Uh, well, for me, I don't think that they're. Or I'm sorry, I don't think that Jenkins is a fit for what they do. They fetish in terms of offensive line. There's arguably no team in the NFL that fetishizes athleticism more th than the Vikings. Like if you look at their, uh, just the Raz scores and the spark scores of the guys that they've picked, it's basically like you can, you can almost disqualify, you know, like below a, cer a certain threshold. You know, Brian O'Neill is a, a good example. Ezra Cleveland's a, a good example. Uh, uh, Brad Berry is a good example. And then, you know, even going back before, you know, even Kubiak was in there, it, you know, like uh, this is back to like the Willie Beavers is, you know, like, you know, those kind of guys, the big time TJ Clemens uh, Vikings fans are like breaking out in high right now when i'm talking about this but i uh, because of that it's like the, the um the sort of mauler dude you know that, that's not quite as athletic they haven't really done that you know for, for a little while and even on the interior uh you know pat elfline was like the last least 
you know, non-athletic offensive lineman they took, you know, by memory. And I think after that, Kubiak's like, we're not doing that ever again. Like I'm, I'm commandeering when we, you know, when we pick offensive linemen. I, I think that Darisaw, so Darisaw did not uh, work out at, at his pro day. Um, he's not, uh, you know, as far, you know, again, going back into that sort of thing that, they, that the Vikings fetishize, he's not exactly it, you know, like, you know, as far as that sort of a dude, um, but he is not non-athletic. Um, and he's proven that he can play left tackle. He did it for three years at Virginia Tech. You know, he was like an overlooked uh, recruit. And he he came in after one year in a not a boarding school. He was in a what do you call it? The the, the year between high school and, and college. And, you know, he did that. And then he shows up at Virginia Tech and, and start, you know, locks down the left tackle job uh, for three years. What would be good about that for the Vikings is if he can hang there, you know, in, in their system, that allows you to keep Brian O'Neill on the right side. And it also allows you, uh, Ezra Cleveland, to keep him at, at right guard. I don't know what the Vikings are thinking as far as Ezra Cleveland, if they want to try him at tackle, but they've seemed to want to keep Brian O'Neill at, 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 at right tackle um, as opposed to moving him to left. Um, and so, you know, Darisaw, I mean, the way that I would see that, I, I would want O'Neill on the left and Darisaw on the right, um, you know, and, and use Darisaw to run behind more, which Darisaw made. Uh, we're not going to talk about Khalil Herbert on, on this show because he's he's like a you know fourth round pick or whatever, but a running back from Virginia Tech that Darisaw made a crap ton of money for uh, this year, just caving in, you know, left sides. Um, and so I, I'm going to go with Darisaw, but I will say that Vera Tucker um, will also be uh, very attractive to them for, for the reasons that, that I said. But if, if they you know, if, if it's sitting dead right on the left tackle, it has to be Derisaw, um, because Vera Tucker proved last season against Kayvon Thibodeau in the Pac-12 title game, sort of the opposite of what uh, Rashawn Slater did in his, his encounters with Chase Young, that he can't handle the, the, the stretched out athletic freaks on the edge. So if the Vikings want a left tackle, it's got to be Derisaw. All right, I will defer to the guy who is close to the situation in Minnesota and go. It's like we, we go with Ray when it's a Dallas pick. We'll go with Thor when it's a Minnesota pick. It's going to be Derisaw to the Vikings at number 14. Thor, that's back on the clock for you. Number 15, every mock I've seen has New England taking a quarterback, but uh, there's no quarterbacks left to pick in ours. Yeah, not unless you want to take Kellabot or something. We're certainly not going to do that to the Patriots fans uh, on this show. But yeah, you know, a- after that, and and by the way, you know, Pat, I, I know you're a gambling guy. It, 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 just something for for people out there that that look into this stuff. The, the odds that you could, you know, on like w- when the rumors were like, you know, New England can move up for a quarterback, and they're still there. Um, it, you can get you can bet a prop of them trading down as opposed to up and you can get very, very good uh, odds on that. And last season, new England was in a very you know similar spot as far as their quarterback position and they traded down they ended up taking Duggar. Um, so I, I think it's far more likely that new England ends up trading down than, than up. Um, however, like here that there's not an obvious, you know, trade thing that, that, you know, that comes to mind, you know, again, all the quarterbacks off the board, I, I think they look at uh, receiver that it won't being one position. Um, it's one that they tried to address in the first round uh, when the keel Harry, that, that hasn't worked out the best so far. I, I think that's one position they'd look at. I think two other ones, um, defensive backfield in general, um, and then linebacker as well. Um, we, so Micah Parsons has, has started to fall down the board here. Um, Bill back in the day would take like a shot on one character, dude, like, you know, per off season, you know, remember Corey Dillon, you know, like that, you know, Randy boss of what year, like, but it was like one. Right. And I don't know if Bill has taken his, uh, his character guy yet, you know, he, his, his character project, dude, but this would be a dang good time to start. If it, you know, if he, if he needs one for, you know, this coming season or whatever, Micah Parsons is, you know, as, as talented as you get, you know, essentially for a linebacker, everything like, you know, his 2019 tape was, 
was was the best season. You know, I think I think of just off ball linebacker uh, play in, in in this class, and then also at his you know at his pro day, he proved that you know athletically just a ridiculous freak. Not only can he take care of all the off ball stuff, you can also sick him off the edge. Um, New New England, you know, again they're gonna have to figure out their coverage stuff. And as far as far as that, that's the one area of Parsons' game that I'm not sure of. What I do know is he's decent in zone, um, but they just didn't put him in man coverage very much. In part because you can just sick him off the edge, you know, on, on passing downs or whatever. Um, and so I, I think at this point, um, another guy that I love is, is Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa, which we can talk about in a second, who feels more like a New England kind of dude. But this might be a scenario where New England's just like, we've gotten a gift. M- Micah Parsons, in any other scenario without these off field things, and w- what I'm talking about is, is hazing incidents from, from earlier in his, his college career that got quite bad. Uh, there was at least one guy that had to transfer away uh, from Penn State because of it. He accused James Franklin of trying to cover the whole thing up. Um, it, it wasn't good. Uh, hairy situation there. So like, I, I do think it is legitimate to, you know, at least know Micah Parsons and, you know, try to ascertain for yourself was, was that a, you know, like a, a, you know, a sort of a big man on campus who's super duper immature, or was that something that is indicative of his character and being a bad teammate? Because it very well may be. And if that's the case, I don't think that New England would take him. I think they'd take a Wusu Koromoa. Um, but if, if they feel decent about their, you know, their interactions with Micah Parsons at this point, I think this would make a ton of sense. So just for the, you know, the fortuitous fortuitousness of Parsons falling down here of the positions that New England needs, I, I think, you know, this would be considered a steal, at least on draft day. And if Michael Parsons keeps his head straight for Bill Belichick, he, he could go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, that, that's what the ceiling is. A very, very high ceiling. Ray, this is such a confusing pick, especially, I mean, even if the quarterback is available for them at 15, Lord knows what the Patriots are going to do. Trade down probably much, probably very much in the playbook for them. But can you get on board with Parsons to New England or you got someone else? I was over here like pumping my arms in jubilation because I'm 110% on board with Micah Parsons. A gift has fallen in the laps of the New England Patriots. It not only makes sense, um, and, and when you look at the linebackers the Patriots have had over the years, right, they're these they're these big athletic guys that can kind of play all over the field. I'm talking about Dante Hightower. Richard Seymour was this edge outside linebacker, defensive tackle, kind of can use them all over the field. Uh, Parsons is going to be um, – he, he's a chess piece, but not as ambiguous as Isaiah Simmons was a couple of years ago for the Cardinals. And if we're being frank here, I think Michael Parsons, from a talent perspective, and I'm going to be conservative, top seven, top eight talent as far as what he can do athletically at the position. He's an absolute monster. If it weren't for those off-field issues, the hazing allegations, I I don't think we'd even be talking about Parsons here at 15. And even the day of the draft, that's why I keep calling it a gift. If he's there at 15, that is a gift for the Patriots. And it also fits in the AFC East. All titles run through the Buffalo Bills. And what do the Buffalo Bills have at quarterback? Just a freak of an athlete that's just running all over the place. They need somebody that can potentially try to contain that. And Micah Parsons, I guarantee we would see him spy Josh Allen's at, at Josh Allen at times when, when they face each other each other twice a year and potentially a third time in the playoffs. So I, I am on board with this pick of my, Micah Parsons at 15. Now on to pick number 16. Arizona was rumored to be one of the teams potentially trading up to maybe go get a receiver into the top 10, but that has not happened in our mock draft. So, Ray, at 16, who are the Cardinals taking? 
Yeah, they're going to try to replace Patrick Peterson. And I think they're going to, they're going to, I, listen, Caleb Farley, health concerns, converted wide receiver. I like his skill set, but I think Greg Newsom and his rise throughout this pre-draft process can't go understated. Uh, he's a smooth, smooth athlete at the cornerback position. Not the, not the most aggressive tackler at the cornerback position, but ultimately I want my damn cornerback to cover guys and not hit. Uh, you got DK Metcalf in that division, Matt Stafford coming in. I think Arizona has to shore up their, uh, their, their pass uh, receiving defenders uh, room. So I think Greg Newsom here at 16, maybe a lot higher than people thought initially coming into this draft, but his, his rise has been meteoric throughout this process. So I'm going to take uh, Greg Newsom, the second cornerback out of Northwestern. So the Northwestern product Thor to the Cardinals. Do you have anyone else in mind? So I, where I agree with Ray, it, d- defense backfield for sure. I, you, you have to be sitting on that um, if you're the Cardinals. Uh, they just need it badly. You know, it's sort of like Dallas, you know, in, in terms of that. Uh, I think J.C. Horn would have been the absolute slam dunk, but that best case scenario did not happen for them here. Um, I'm going to go with Farley, though. Um, Ray alluded to uh, Newsom's, you know, meteoric rise. Uh, uh, Farley, in some ways, has had the opposite. No fault of his own. He didn't, you know, he was one of the opt-outs last season, and he has a back issue that has, um, he, he got it in a freak weightlifting uh, deal after the year that he tore his ACL. So as a, actually, as a true freshman, he was going to start on Virginia Tech as a receiver. You know, he showed up there as an athlete, and he was just torching people in the spring game. As a true freshman, he, he enrolled early. Um, and, and Joseph Fuente is like, we found something. And, and so he was going to be a starter till he, till he, uh, ripped up the knee in, uh, August of that year. And then he came back and in the summer, he had this, this freak weightlifting thing that is, he played through it. He's a very, very tough kid. Um, and, but it, it's cropped up at a couple different times. Um, these things can go either way. Um, we've seen players where it, I mean, it, it wrecks their career. Essentially we've seen other guys that are able to have long careers with it, you know, or, or that it doesn't come back, you know, or whatever, like he, he Farley just had this microdiscectomy. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, procedure right before uh, Virginia Tech's pro day. So that's why he couldn't, um, you know, you know, partake in, in that or whatever, but went to the Indy combine, uh, you know, rechecks or whatever, and they gave him the thumbs up. So at least for right now, he's good, you know, but again, it, it, the, the, the back is, you know, it's, it's like with uh, recurring concussions where, you know, in terms of like, you start to get concerned that it could. However, just in terms of upside, um, Farley might have the highest ceiling of of any defender, like maybe just south of Parsons. You know, we were talking about like him is, but you know, I I would put his ceiling. I think even a little bit above uh, Sertan's. But there's again, there's the, there's the injury concern, and you know, he's only played two seasons. But that last season, you started to see sort of everything start to coalesce. He's a big kid. He's ludicrously athletic. Um, and he, he took to the position that that second year that, you know, the, the first year, you know, you were seeing different things like the, especially the ball skills um, in, in terms of playing the ball, Farley, not was just one of the best, you know, collegiate guys and maybe the best one, but in the NFL, um, he's immediately going to be one of the premier ball Hawks, just in terms of getting hands on balls and coming down with them and then being able to, 
take an explosive play the other way. You see the receiver thing. You see why Justin Fuente, even though he had a future first round quarterback, just sitting there, he he was going to play him at receiver in, in, until he ended up getting injured and then came back as, as a corner because they'd had other receivers, uh, you know, the Virginia Tech that, that had risen up by that point. Um, but anyway, just as far as like the full package of, of a defender and a guy that I think Cliff Kingsbury is, you know, would sort of fetishize, you know, as, as an explosive uh, defensive playmaker, um, I, I think that they would roll the dice here. And just speaking to Newsom really quick, you know, as, as far as the meteoric rise that, that, that Ray mentioned coming into this season, he would have been probably a, a, a seventh round pick, you know, six, maybe at, at best. Um, he also may have been a UDFA. He like, you know, his, his first couple of seasons as starter was not as good as some of these other guys. And then last year he took off Newsom did. And, and this began the meteoric rise that, that Ray talked about before uh, his pro day in March if you look at Benjamin Robinson's mocking the draft or his website where he, he pumps all the, the mock draft data in, and then he, he finds sort of like, you know, where they're being projected, like, you know, from a thousand different mock drafts or whatever, and then sort of charts it like throughout the process. Newsom was like 98th on that board, but before his, you know, his mid-March uh, pro day, and he jumped to 25 very quickly after it. Um, because what had happened is Newsom played six games and six games only in the fall for Northwestern and had done very good, obviously. Like, you know, he, 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 he may have even given up less than 100 yards receiving last year in those six games. Um, so he had that, but like he was playing in the zone. Northwestern plays uh, zone coverage under their longtime defensive coordinator who retired right after the season. But it's, it's mostly to mitigate, uh, you know, issues in space of, of the defensive backs that, uh, Northwestern is typically able to get, but because of that system, we didn't get to see Newsom um, moving laterally as much and also down the field because in, in, in his snaps where he was impressed, teams just did not um, go at him this year, you know, in, in the few times that he was in those situations, we didn't even get to see his long speed very much. He answered all those questions at, at the pro day. He tested as like, you know, 93rd percentile type athlete. He's a very smart kid as well. My concern about him, this, this, this is sort of like uh, the Zach Wilson thing he, to me, Greg Newsom is the Zach Wilson of the cornerback class because before he wasn't very good. Wilson was, was better in his initial two seasons that, that Newsom was Newsom was not good. His initial couple of seasons last Last season, dominant, absolutely dominant, you know, tape statistically, et cetera. Um, but Northwestern had a top three pass defense last year. They had one safety behind him that it, we're going to be talking about um, next year, the year after just an absolute ball hawk who had like, he had like six interceptions, like eight games. He was PFF's high, highest graded coverage safety. Um, and, and, and Northwestern had like, uh, you know, slot cornerbacks that, that played like, you know, half as much as Newsom that had similar uh, PFF grades to Newsom. Um, Northwestern's defense defense last year was sort of the the, the high tide that raise, you know rises all boats or whatever and so Newsom had that going for him and then the second thing is he didn't face basically any NFL talent last year he got Garrett Wilson for like 10 plays before he got injured in in the Ohio State game and before that the only guy he faced was with David Bell from Purdue you know Ron Dale was hurt at that time so he, he got Bell but you know again he was out of there in the Ohio State game like 10 plays you know into that game so didn't face him and then he was out for the bowl game against Auburn where he would have gotten to face a receiver, you know, whether it was Seth Williams or, or Anthony Schwartz, but he was out for that game. So, so he was dominant in this period against really no one. Um, and so that's my concern for him that your sample size of playing really well, it's, it's a six game sample against one good receiver 
Um, and then, you know, before that he just wasn't, you know, as good. So, you know, and the situation he was in was, was very advantageous. My concerns with him in terms of that are just as, you know, big or whatever as my concerns with Farley in his back, which is Farley's only issue. Um, and so because of that, uh, I rank Newsom lower. And again, specifically speaking to this team, because this isn't, you know, I, I'm not making, you know, we're projecting who we think that they would. I, I think Kingsbury in, you know, in, in that brass and sort of like, you know, weighing these two things against each other. I think that they're going to go sort of with the devil they know and, and Cliff Kingsbury's his sort of fetish, which is explosive players, you know, big time athleticism and, and bigger packages. I, I think I think that they would go with Farley over Newsom. All right. I have a different take on Arizona on his front office from this. I think they take the path of least resistance, don't want to fuck around with someone whose back could be a bit wonky. So I'm going to go with Ray and go with Newsom with the pick to Arizona, thus leaving the door open, Thor, for you and Las Vegas to potentially take someone with huge upside and injury downside. Yes. Um, so, yes, I, I think, you know, with the way that the board has gone, Farley would be extremely attractive here, extremely attractive. Um, there's another guy that I, I don't know if they're going to be able to turn him down. I don't know if Mike, specifically Mike Mayaka, that, you know, Gruden and pumping each other up, you know, they're, ah. um, I, if this guy falls there, I don't know if, if they can turn him down. And that's a Wusu Koromoa. Uh, Farley would make it really difficult if, if he was there too, because you, you wouldn't expect him to, to be there and he wouldn't be there were it not for, for the back thing. Um, but I'm going to go with a Wusu Koromoa because he not only um, sort of appeals to, to Mayock and Gruden's, you know, you know, he, he's a hitman on, on the field and everything like that, but he's also a blue blood. He, he, he has from a blue blood school. I mean, at Notre Dame, he, he has a lot of characteristics that Mayock has, has honed in on. And, and I think he not only offers, you that old school thing of like you know again the the enormous hits and you know we're bringing the raiders back you know to, to toughness or whatever but he would also appeal to sort of the younger sect of of gruden's defensive staff that sees him as this nullifying chess piece he's awesome in the box like the biggest hits in 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 college football um his hits are so ridiculous that the uh, the athletic uh, pete samson for the athletic actually put out a query looking for um, a math guy if he could explain the force of of Coromoa's hits and uh, he actually got one from a, a Notre, Notre Dame grad that, that was teaching you know I, something at the Naval Academy where he was a professor in math or whatever and he actually made out a mathematical equation to explain uh, Awusu Coromoa's hitting which I, I, I just got a big kick out of but he's better in coverage so he's you know he, he's he's good in the box even though he's an undersized guy because he, he has length he's got twitch and then when he gets there and he gets there a lot because not only those things he he like he snaps his trigger is so fast he got the itchy finger tr trigger finger coming downhill so he screws up the angles of the offensive lineman how how quickly he can get there and when he gets to the running back he not only does he he lay the hammer every time he doesn't miss he, he has super duper long arms um and wraps up every, every you know every single time but again in coverage he he's arguably even better he's a guy that legitimately erases people in the slot and in the nfl you know we've been talking about kyle pitts and you know the, he's obviously the, you know sort of the the most brand um version of this you know that we've seen coming to the nfl but uh the thing of, of spacing out your offense, uh, you know, putting the receivers in space, having one uh, sort of move tight end guy there in conjunction with the inline guy that creates various issues for the defense because you have the, the two bigger dudes on the field. You can run the ball against thin boxes, number one, but also just the opportunity it gives you 
you put athletes in space on the outside, et cetera. Th that's where the game is moving offensively. And it has been here for the last you know decade plus because of that, the, the value of guys, uh, these defensive chess pieces where, you know, you, your base is an off ball, but we can also put you in the slot to shut down any of those matchup issues, you know, where we have the shorter cornerback, like he, his, he, he's going to have X assignments, but whenever this dude is in the slot, Cormoy, you're going out there, we're going to replace you with some, you know, do, doing those things like. Um, he just offers the defense so much um, and, and the flash plays and the toughness and, and all that sort of stuff. It just seems like something that would appeal to the Raiders to the degree that they might askew what, you know, at this point, you know, Farley, some people would see that as an obvious thing. And I love Farley, as I just mentioned. Um, but Mayock, if we know one thing about him from the last couple of years is he sticks with his read specifically in the first round and he doesn't care. But this is actually a pick that would make sense in the slot, unlike most of his other first round picks to this point. But it also just fits with what he looks for. So I'm going to go with Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa. Uh, Ray, do you agree on this, or is there some sort of receiver who runs like a 3-9-40 that they can draft in this spot? <laughs> well, luckily for the Raiders, JOK is is a hell of an athlete in his own right, so it checks that box for them to have the <laughs> athletic player, uh, although he won't be catching the ball. He's one of the best pass coverage linebackers in this class. The impact of the hits that he has. I mean, they took a guy like Jonathan Abrams because he was physical. I mean, he he fits. I mean, they had a guy like uh, uh the, the 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 safety from West Virginia, the little safety Joseph Carl Joseph was a big impact hitter. I mean, he, he listen, uh, scout the player, not the helmet. But sometimes, damn it, the the, the helmet just fits. And the Raiders like these hard nosed kind of players. It's the Raiders way and Mayock and all of that shit. I think if JOK is sitting there, I actually am kind of pissed off because I was thinking about taking him with 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 the Dolphins next election. But <laughs> if he's on the board at 17, I, I do think it makes a good fit uh, for the division that they play in for the Raiders team with Max Crosby. You add him to Abrams, you, you, you add to that that defensive line. I think it makes a lot of sense for for the Raiders, for the Las Vegas Raiders to make that pick. So I like it. All right, uh, Ray, we're going to give you one last pick on this one before you have to take off. We're going to go with Miami, their second pick, and this pick is just yours. So whatever you say well, goes for Miami with this pick. No, here goes the time zone thing. The time zone thing, Mayo. I'm good for an hour. I'm at like 4.30 my oh, time. Oh, time. we're good then. So, so no, you, I, I, I am retracting my exclusivity to your pick on just for Miami. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. But you're still up on this one. Who is Miami going to take okay. with their second pick? There we go. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people uh, want them to take a running back, but it seems like the front office and every move that they made is strategic. It's smart. And the smart move is not to take a running back here at 18, as much as I love Najee Harris. So I think they're going to listen. It, it, when you look at the Dolphins defense, they've got a pretty damn good defense. Their defensive backfield isn't bad. It's pretty damn good. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, uh, no McCain is out there. I, I, I do think they need some help on their defensive line. And I think they might stay in state and take Jalen Phillips, the defensive end out of Miami, uh, just when you when you're just talking about raw freaky athletes, the kid was a high five star recruit coming out of high school, played in Miami. The Dolphins have this pick, and again, I'm thinking about the division in which they play in the AFC East. You've got to get players that are going to pressure the quarterback. Emmanuel Ogba is okay in that department, but I think a player like Jalen Phillips, even though he's raw and it may take him some time to develop what he can do from day one, putting his hand in the ground and exploding off of the line of scrimmage. I think it makes a lot of sense for the dolphins. They've already shored up their pass catchers with uh, Jamar chase early in the draft. 
And they did sign Will Fuller. I completely forgot that they do have Will Fuller there to compliment Devontae Parker. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to focus on the defensive side of the ball. If they don't, I can see them focusing on the line, but on the offensive side. But right here, I'm going Jalen Phillips, linebacker, Miami. I'm defensive in Miami. Jalen Phillips to Miami, Thor. Do you think this makes a lot of logical sense? And I, I do agree with Ray about not a running back for the Dolphins here, just based on what they've done with all their draft capital, it leads me to believe that they know what they're doing. And it's not to take anything away from any of the running backs in this draft class, but they might just realize like, hey, our draft capital is better spent off on a running back in the fourth round, not right here. I agree with that, yeah. And, and these days, you know, typically when you see that flyer uh, in the running back at the, the end of the first round, um, you know, it's a team that's right on that precipice or already has been, you know, they're, they're championship contenders, right? You know, and the Chiefs, you know, are a great example of that with Edward Z. Lair. And they even, in their explanation, sort of alluded to this, where it was just like, you know, we, we, you know, we we felt good with the rest of our roster. So we asked Pat, which his favorite running back of the class was, and he said Clyde. I mean, like, that's sort of how they explained that pick. And it's like, you can only get to that point when your roster is really, really, really good. Uh, Miami absolutely could get, you know, to the point where they get into that luxury spot where that would make sense because of you know how well they've they've done all this larry larry me tunsil trade you know we, we talked about that before has sprouted all of these first round picks it's, it's this gift that keeps on giving you know it's like when mario hits the thing and all the coins start going out is it was what the larry me tunsil trade turned into uh for them and so like you have all this equity and they've done a good job to this point filling it um and so you have to keep doing it you still have a few holes though and, and so like that's that's how i would do this maybe next year your roster is good enough that, that you know if you're sitting there at you know 28 spot if you, if you had a really good season then you could be like okay we'll take a running back here but I, I agree this is this is too high and it doesn't make sense for where they are you know in, the, in, in sort of the the contention window hierarchy or whatever so yeah I, I'm not going to go running back I agree that it would be edge for me because you took care of the wide receiver thing first so that's that's what you know cross that off the list of needs edge is, is the obvious one right after that um, I rank quitty pay just like two or three spots ahead of Phillips. But the only reason it's it, again, it's, it's like going back to the Farley thing. It's just past injury things. Uh, in Phillips's case, he had uh, a couple concussions. He had a, one from his playing days earlier on. And then he had a, this, this scooter accident uh, where he suffered another concussion. And this is when he was at UCLA. He, he'd been, he might've been the, the top recruit overall in his class. If he wasn't, he was top three, which was just, you know, the super duper ballyhooed uh, edge rushing uh, recruit. And Anyway, he was medically retired by UCLA. They, their doctor said, you, you know, these issues are bad enough that you shouldn't play again. And Phillips ended up, you know, changing, you know, he went along with, you know, he, he retired, but then he ended up changing his mind, uh, transferred to Miami. And uh, this past season in particular, you saw the, the thing that the recruiting analysts were seeing before, because it all started to sprout out. Uh, Ray mentioned that, that he's a sick athlete. Not only was that, you know, sort of known, but he also proved the concept at his pro day workout. He tested uh, just slightly under the 99th percentile, uh, 98, he was 98.7 um, as a size adjustment athlete so he's a freak athlete it, it's not just that he, he he's one of those built in a lab types you know if you were building an edge rusher it'd look a lot like him and he also has advanced moves um he, he's got a couple different moves that, that he throws on guys and the length the athleticism and then sort of the the cleverness there you know on the attack it, it's a lot it, it was a lot for acc tackles uh, to deal with and it's it's going to be a lot at the next level too um again like he and pay are very close and very different sort of evaluations um but they're close enough here especially because of the the local flavor that I, I agree with the position thing. And I also agree with Ray. Let's let, let's do the homecoming here and keep Jalen Phillips in Miami. It has worked out to him at this point. Ever since he moved to Miami, it, his, his career has taken off. Let, let's keep him there. 
All right, so Jalen Phillips to Miami with the second pick at number 18, which does make a lot of sense as well because because you have all this draft capital and your defense is already good. This seems like a roll-the-dice luxury upside pick for them too to go get that guy that can hassle a quarterback based on what the rest of your defense looks like as well and how close you're at least perceiving yourself and even the outside perceives you to be to potentially taking that next step if Tua can come along for the ride. So that leaves Washington number 19 on the clock. Thor, what's pick yeah so you know obviously there's been a lot of talk about Washington with the quarterbacks in, in the way that this went down uh, that's obviously not going to happen um you, you could look for another receiver a compliment to, to McLaren uh, for me the NFL might see this differently but I see Rashad Bateman is absolutely the number four receiver and I think that he would be fine in, in this slot but again the NFL might be lower I, another option I think would be Tevin Jenkins and I think they would take one of the two linebackers if either of them fell here but they, they didn't in in this thing um, just because I'm bullish on Rashad Bateman and I know that others are going to be not everyone in the NFL is but um, Washington absolutely could be and you know a guy that would be a very good compliment for McLaren um, two guys that create separation just getting out of bed you know w- w- you know as far as their footwork off the line and, and, and all that sort of stuff and just great route, route runners both of them um, their quarterback situation for the future is is not set yet but with a guy like Rashad Bateman you take care of a, a really big need um, and, and a guy that'd be a great compliment to McLaren and then sort of set the table for for the next quarterback coming in I'm gonna go with Rashad Bateman so throwing out the fourth receiver off the board Bateman to the Washington footballs Ray do you think that because they don't get a quarterback at least in our mock draft that now is the time to utilize some of this high-end draft capital on protecting the future number one guy so when he comes in all of a sudden he's just not he has all these weapons potentially uh with Bateman and McLaren and Curtis Samuel who they just picked up and Gibson coming back in the backfield like that's a really nice spot to walk into but if you can't protect him then it's it's another lost season at that point. Yeah, and, and Thor threw out the name uh, Tevin Jenkins, a player that I talked about, you know, a couple of picks ago. I think uh, Vera Tucker. Did we take him, or is he still He's on, still the, on board? the board? He's, He's on the board. He's still on the board. I think. I think a lot of those tackles make sense. I do agree with Thor that they are they are going to go wide receiver. They need the help. They they were throwing to guys like Stephen Sims, Cam Sims. When you're throwing to the Sims twins, that's not a good thing. And they seem to be enamored with these tweener like prospects these hybrid players curtis samuel wide receiver running back antonio gibson wide receiver running back um and there's a wide receiver sort of former quarterback and dynamic slot guy in this class that's getting a lot of first round draft capital buzz Kadarius tony i think would also we can't rule that out but i am going to roll with thor because bateman is a far superior wide receiver prospect than Kadarius tony Tony's probably going to go round one. And if he's drafted over Rashad Bateman, that's going to be a mistake. So I would like to think that, you know, God, and, you know, we talk, th- th- their, their defense is really good. The football team, I mean, their, their, their defensive line is scary, scary good. Um, you know, they've got to do some stuff on offense, but I just think that the positional value at O tackle, they can wait a little bit, O, o tackle, O guard, uh, grab Rashad Bateman. I'm fine with Thor. All right, so Bateman to the footballs at number 19. Now the Bears have traded the number 20 pick in our mock draft to the Los Angeles Chargers, who are now on the clock, Ray, at number 20. Is this a spot where you know we had them potentially either taking a tackle or trading back last time? They traded back, and now only one more tackle has gone off the board since. 
Yeah, and and listen, having watched a lot of USC football, I I do not think Vera Tucker is a left tackle for the NFL. I I just, I don't. But he's extremely athletic, and I know the Los Angeles Chargers have done a lot of homework on this kid. Um, And, you know, he's a player that I think could potentially even go top 15. So for him to fall here uh, to pick 20, it's going to be one of these offensive linemen. You know, you still got Alex Leatherwood on the board. You know, you've got Creed Humphrey at center. They really don't need a center. Uh, You've you've got other players, but I think the athleticism, uh, some of, we talked about this hometown flavor. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but some of these NFL GMs are a little more predictable than we think. So I think having a close look at Vera Tucker, it, it makes sense for him to play and fit in somewhere along that offensive line with an athletic quarterback like Justin Herbert. So right here, we're going to go with Mr. Vera Tucker, offensive lineman. I'm just going to say O-lineman out of USC. And that actually makes sense based on what you said earlier, Thor, about how there's many needs on the Chargers offensive line that just getting a high-end athlete to plug in one of those gaps and then figure out the rest later could be the move. Exactly. And this, this is the best case scenario with, with the trade down that, that we did. You know, we talked about like, you know, if, if, if both, uh, we know that the Vikings are going to take an offensive lineman right behind you, but if another one goes off and then maybe two, then, then you, it starts to get a little hairy for you as far as first round type guys. But this is, this is the best case scenario. Only one guy did. Uh, before, you know, we were between uh, Vera Tucker and Derisaw with their pick. Uh, Vera Tucker just fell to us here and we got the extra second round pick. What's beautiful about that is this class is actually pretty rich in second round tackles. Um, it, it starts th- that class falls off, uh, you know, a little bit after that. But I really like this tackle class, uh, both in the first round. It's really, really good. But again, those second tier guys, a, a bunch of athletic guys that that proved it on the field over multiple years. Brady Christians that I mentioned had the highest, you know, PFF grade, whatever, and then proved to be a stud athlete. Uh, it was 90, 90th percentile plus um, Dylan Raid and Samuel Cosme. And we, we can toss these names. Out. Those guys are going to be the second round type tackles. We we get one of those guys for free merely because we traded down uh, with the bears and we get one of the two dudes that we wanted anyway. So this is a bonanza in, in the chargers draft room. Completely agree with Ray. This would be Vera Tucker. It is such an easy pick. You're keeping him local. He's the best offensive lineman left. And whereas for, for some other teams, you know, and I agree with Ray as well that I don't see him as a tackle for the reasons that I mentioned before, but for, for, for the Chargers, it doesn't matter because they, again, a team like the Vikings, they need multiple uh, starters. So you, you get Vera Tucker is going to take one of your interior spots that you need a starter at. And in the second round, now we got two second round picks, you know, if, if we need to maneuver, but um, certainly we're, you know, with one of those picks, even and staying put, we're going to be able to get a, a starting tackle. So we're going to go with Elijah Vera Tucker here. All right. That means that Indianapolis is now on the clock at number 21. Do they, Thor, go back to offensive line here? And Ray had thrown out Tevin Jenkins a little bit earlier. Is this a decent landing spot for him? I do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Tevin Jenkins here. I, I think tackle is the biggest need. And, you know, Jenkins is, is that four guy, you know, there, for me, there, there is a, you know, a little bit of a drop, but like Jenkins is clearly on the four. It's, it's sort of like what I was talking about with Bateman in, in relation to the receiver class. So, you know, with, with the Colts, you might not want to get, um, you know, too, too cute with this pick. I mean, certainly they would look in an edge rusher as well, you know, because the way that the board has fallen, um, equity pay would be, I, I think, very attractive to the Colts here as well. Um, but just like the offensive line needs to get addressed. And I, I just think that's a position when you have that big of a need and a guy falls there that, you know, makes sense in that slot, you take him. Tevin Jenkins will start for him right away. And he's going to be, he's going to start for them for a long time. Ray, do you think that they go offensive lineman receiver or potentially other? 
yeah, they've got to go O-line. I agree with the selection. Um, listen, you've got Jonathan Taylor. You've got you've got Carson Wentz. You've got you know this this division that they play in. Um, I, I think I think offensive line makes a lot of sense. Receiver, I mean, they got Michael Pittman. They re-signed T.Y. Hilton. They they second round tendered Zach Pascal. So I think they're pretty set at least for first round draft capital for a wide receiver. So I like it a lot here at um uh, for for the offensive lineman. Okay, so that makes it pretty easy on my end. Tevin Jenkins to the Indianapolis Colts. Number 22, Ray, is the Tennessee Titans. I had Elliot Crist on the draft prop show, and it was the time that we spoke. Uh, six to one that Tennessee would draft a defensive player with their pick. I don't know why it's that high, but I have to feel like they're in the market for an edge rusher, potentially maybe some back end help just because one of your wide receivers leaves. Doesn't mean you all of a sudden just go out and draft another receiver. Now, sometimes it does granted, but I think that defense is very much on the board here for the Titans. Yeah, this is not fantasy football. I mean, this is they're trying to win. They're trying to win fucking they're trying to win games here. Um, and, and and I think two gifts have fallen to Tennessee. And I don't believe that, you know, when it's all said and done, I know we've done this exercise. I don't think Quiddy Pay, if Quiddy Pay is that it makes it to pick 22, I mean, I I would assume that Vrabel and company would rush to the draft board to turn that pick in. Now, pay still on the board for us, right, Thor? Because you, you let me have Jalen Phillips. Yep. I think Caleb Farley, Quiddy Pay make a ton of sense for the Titans organization. But I, I think we can see Quiddy go as high as pick 11 to the New York Giants. So to fall to 22 to Tennessee, they just lost Clowney. Again, we're talking about the division in which they play, the AFC. You got to get pressure on these quarterbacks. I, I think they would run to the damn podium to turn in the card for Quiddy Pay, uh, the edge out of Michigan. Quiddy Pay, good name. So that goes a long way in branding, Thor. Do you like the pick? Yeah, and I agree with everything that Ray said. Two gifts have fallen to you at two positions of enormous need. This is the the scenario where the the Titans are doing backflips at the war room kind of a thing because you know either Farley or Quiddy Pay are slam dunks. You know picks for for Tennessee at this point. And here you get to choose between the two. It's it's two guys that probably should have gone a little bit above. But there's you know these few questions with 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 uh, you know Farley. It's it's with regards to his back and with Pay. He's he, I mean he's still raw, right? But I mean in terms of the athletic package, it's absolutely ridiculous pat i love to would you have to do the pegs you know we, we we can get you in so i'm gonna force the the tiebreaker here and i'm gonna give him caleb farley uh, I'll give them the edge rusher uh, in this scenario, and I will go with Ray because I already wrote it on my sheet because I thought you were agreeing. So pay the man. He's in. He's <laughs> going to the Tennessee Titans, uh, which leaves us toward number 23, the New York Jets second pick. Who is the shittiest player possible that's plausible at this pick because the Jets will take them? Yeah, so obviously they got Zach Wilson with their first pick. Um, very similar needs to what, what we were just talking about with the other with the Titans. It's cornerback and edge, and they get the other gift, right? The the one would above him. Uh, Caleb Farley's still there. He should have been off the board by this point. I I mentioned before that, and, and Ray agrees with me that, that Zach Wilson. Uh, we don't have him in the second slot, but certainly uh, for Caleb Farley, getting him, you know, at twenty two or where, wherever we are, that that's a steal. Whoever you are, as long as his back is, you know, as long as it doesn't wreck his career, that 
that will make him a steal at this slot. And it fills a, a big need for them. We talked about cornerback last year as being one of their big needs, but offensive line obviously was, was a huge one as well. And the, the, the guy that fell to them, you know, they could start him, you know, back then could start him right, you know, at tackle right away. But because of that, they didn't, weren't able to address the defensive backfield in the way that they probably would have even liked. It was interesting, actually, in the, the UDFA uh, range last year, they signed three of the top uh, UDFA cornerbacks, like right afterwards. And I think that was sort of an, an acknowledgement of like, man, we, we really wish we could have, you know, taken a quarterback, but it just, the board didn't fall to us that way. This year, it absolutely has. Caleb Farley is an absolute steal here. So Caleb Farley to the Jets, Ray, that makes a lot of sense because he has you know, back problems and maybe that you know being a year out of football has severely impacted his overall upside and you know if you have those negatives and you get drafted by the Jets I feel bad for the guy but he may never play in the NFL yeah um here's the thing though I mean when he he's he's so raw and so young he was a, a converted wide receiver the ball skills are there the size is there if he can stay healthy I mean you're looking at a at a at a solid cornerback for you. I'm not going to call him some all pro. I'm not calling him a pro bowler, but I'm cra- and, and they lost. Um, They lost. Who's the kid from uh, USC that they drafted in the first round. They just lost him. I believe uh, a Dory Jackson. Right. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them uh, to, to take Farley, even with the bad back. All right. So Caleb Farley goes to the jets with the second pick. I know that super fan as revealed on the prop show, Tim Andercus really wanted Asante Samuel jr. Because he saw, 30 seconds of highlight clips and said there could be no one better. So this is actually, you know, people who actually watch these people, this probably makes a little bit more sense and shoot for that upside with the second pick that you have in the first round, much like Miami did in our mock draft, at least. So Ray, that puts Pittsburgh on the clock. People are rumoring, obviously a running back goes to Pittsburgh because James Connor isn't there anymore, but does Pittsburgh have enough sense to maybe address some other position here and go get another running back down the list? Because it's not like they have this. I mean, they drafted Rashad Mendenhall at one point in time, but I feel like that was over a decade ago. That maybe a second round running back or a third round running back does them just as good here, and they can solidify the rest of their positions, especially on defense where they lost some guys. I mean, Mayo, this is the NFL draft. This isn't reason and sound logic here that you're that you're dishing out because that, that that does not happen during the nfl draft right you know they lost marquise pouncey they had one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl after you know being so dominant for for time um and as thor alluded to this there, there are a lot of really good offensive linemen um i like creed humphrey a lot and i know a, a lot of people may say that oh he's you know that's that's too high to take creed humphrey losing marquise pouncey uh, you've got to replace the the captain of your offensive line. Creed Humphrey should be the pick. But in this mock, they are going to take <laughs> Najee Harris, the running back out of Alabama. The, listen, the the owner of the team, there was a there, there was a news article that came out from 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 Rooney himself where he basically said, I want to get back to what we were when Le'Veon Bell was there and we had a running back that can be there all three downs, catch the ball, in the backfield. Uh, we, we need to get back to that style of football. Like you have to have some people to block for that running back in order to get there. Um, but listen, where there's smoke, there's a lot of fire. And I've been saying for two years, like it makes a lot of just, you know, town blue collar hard worker Pittsburgh Najee Harris it it makes sense the pick probably should be offensive lineman 10 out of 10 times but I think uh, next Thursday the first running back off of the board 
we're going to hear Najee Harris at pick 24 with Pittsburgh. I think that's what they're going to do. So Najee Harris first back off the board, like Ray said, to Pittsburgh. Thor, are you going to sign off on that one, or you want to make an alternating case here for... Don't sign off on it, Thor. Don't sign off on it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to sign off with that. But I, I, it's not that I, I think they're sitting 1,000% dead red on it, but it's that in this scenario, I, I, like, I, I think it, th- those rumors are totally legitimate. I, like, I think they're absolutely going to consider it, but I, I think it's, you know, context dependent. And in this case, you know, y- y- your other needs tackle cornerback uh and and interior offensive line like ray betcher you probably need a couple uh, guys in the offensive line but but you know it, what you're probably looking at in, in those three positions combined is you have the four person bucket for tackle right jenkins being the fourth and then you have the four person bucket for cornerback whether you say newsom or, or farley is you know that whatever and then you know elijah vera tucker is like the clear dude that would also make sense here so if those nine guys are all off the board I also agree with the way Ray broke it down. I, I think like Creed Humphrey would probably make the most sense here, you know, just in terms of like uh, build the team. But like, uh, again, I, I think the Steelers are probably like, well, if one of those nine guys falls to us, we're, we're going to take them quite quickly. If, if they don't, I think it's going to be Najee Harris. All right, so Najee Harris going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So draft him first round in fantasy. What could go wrong? Just like Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year. Pick number 25. We are now to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Once again, Thor, you're up for this one. They already have Trevor Lawrence. Do you do we want to get him some more protection or do we want to get him another weapon? What are we doing here? Yeah, so, you know, they have very similar needs to the, the, you know, ancillary needs outside of Lawrence, you know, quarterbacks obviously off the list at this point, but to the teams that we just talked about, it's a very similar thing. Offensive tackle, we absolutely need that. But, you know, the fourth one just got taken. Cornerback is is another need. But at this point, because, you know, the top four guys are off the board, you you would either have to, you know, sort of reach for Asante Samuel or Elijah Molden, you know, somebody like that. So they're in kind of a tougher, um, type situation um i'm gonna go a little bit off board here because since there's not like an obvious guy at at those positions i'm gonna take trayvon morig um who you know you're seeing more and more him put into the the first round of mock drafts um he has established himself as you know he's the clear safety one um that's another need for jacksonville and i think you know again like you you look at these sort of buckets and what would be the best case scenario for them very similarly to what we were just saying they're gonna have to audible off of that and i think that's how you get to Najee harris with the Steelers pick, I also think that's how a guy like Morig can slide into this slot potentially. So I'm going to go with Trayvon Morig. Ray, do you think that uh, Trayvon Morig uh, ascended up some draft boards because he lost the uh, the hyphenated last name? He stopped going by that so much when it came to it because no one wants like these hyphen guys. Uh, I mean, it's been just a career killer for a lot of athletes over time. I don't know why. Ask Michael Kidd Gilchrist what that's all about. But uh, I, that would be my read on the situation. Now, I have terrible read. I can't read, in fact, so that's probably a bad idea. But who do you see them going with this pick? Yeah, I, that was an interesting one, um, but definitely would feel would feel a need for Jacksonville. I think part of the problem with that pick, Thor, I don't even know if he'll be there at twenty five. Like you know, he, he should be there, but you just you, you never know, right? He's he's clearly the top rated safety in this class, in my opinion. Um, so I, I can definitely see a team. Uh, you know, jumping up to get him or or him potentially coming off of the board before this 25th pick. Um, it's it's Urban Meyer. I don't know what the hell they're going to do, to be honest with you. Like, I, I really don't. It, it wouldn't even shock me if we saw two running backs come off the board back to back here. If, if Pittsburgh goes Najee Harris, 
I could see them taking a, a Travis Etienne, even though I think they could probably wait to the second round to do that. Um, but for for the sake of this exercise, I don't have a, a a good reason why to pivot off of Morig. He's a fantastic safety prospect, um, and they need that in the division. So I'll say they shore up some of their defensive secondary needs, and I like the pick. All right, so Trayvon Morig goes to Jacksonville with their second pick of the second round. Ray, we're back to you. We're now to number 26 on the board, and everyone's favorite offseason team, the Cleveland Browns, are picking. Man, the, the Browns have gone from – just dumpster fire to to really really good. They have they have made a lot of good moves here. Uh, recently bringing in Jadavion Clowney to play opposite of Miles Garrett for the eleven games that Clowney will be active <laughs> or at least hustling for. Um, but I, I do think you know that defense is coming together really well with with Denzel Ward. They get a healthy Grant Delpit back, so it's almost like they've got another high draft pick coming into the twenty twenty one season. I know a lot of people want to fantasize about more weapons on the offensive side of the ball, but I think they're fine. Bringing Hollywood Higgins back, I think that sort of was an indication um, that they're going to roll with Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, uh, Hollywood Higgins. They still have Donovan Peoples-Jones out there out wide, at least early on. Right here, I think they go back to the defensive side of the ball, and if Christian Barmore is sitting there for them as an interior defensive lineman, um, I it, it, it just it makes a ton of sense to get this disruptive uh, defensive tackle to sort of take a little bit of pressure off of Clowney, a little bit of pressure off of Garrett. And if you do decide to double Garrett and then have to spend a little extra attention chipping JV on Clowney, leaving Barmore one on one with a guard or center is probably not a good ideal. So that just makes a lot of sense. That helps out the linebackers. It helps out the secondary. So if I were a Browns fan and Christian Barmore were sitting there and, and we got him at 26, I, I think that would be a home run selection and somebody that I can even think could go higher in the draft. So Barmore to Cleveland with the pick and overload a position of strength anyway, that usually turns out pretty well for a lot of teams, Thor. Yeah, and I I totally agree with the analysis there. He he would make so much sense if if he falls to this point. And you know he's the first interior defensive lineman off of the board, and he's you know he's either going to go here or or just a bit above him, like like Ray was saying. And you know in, in this scenario, and there's a couple other needs that, um, I mean you know linebacker, but it, uh, you know Zayvon Collins could be you know an audible choice. But I I think you know again like in the scenario where Barmore is is there, I, I think that's an easy pick. It's a quick decision. Okay, so let's go to Baltimore, the former Cleveland Browns, with the next one. Or do I have that backwards? No, I have that one now. Do I have that one right? Now I can't even remember. I gotta watch that 30 for 30 again. My mind is <laughs> I had Ray, I had kids, and now my mind is mush. It's not good. I can't remember anything anymore. Does this pass or is this how it is? Uh, that, that's what happens, man. I mean, you're asking, I got two of them. I, uh, hell, I don't know what I'm doing from day to listen. Just yes, Mayo. Kids, yes. Back to the mock, yes. <laughs> All right. So Baltimore with their pick. Uh, I mean, Ray alluded to it earlier with Lamar Jackson. Everyone's down his throat when he's not the most efficient passer of all time. I do am guilty for kind of piling on Lamar and what his ceiling might be versus some of the other quarterbacks who are just not necessarily not necessarily as efficient, but can really bring you back from 21 nothing if you're down in a game. It, it just seems like the Ravens are such a front-running team at this point, the way that they're constructed. Pretty good defense, great offensive running team. But if they need to kind of go vertical and pass, can they get it done? Maybe another weapon will help. But, Thor, it's your pick for the Ravens. They love just taking good, solid defensive players when they're down in this part of the draft. 
They do. And you, you read my mind. I'm going to go with Aziz Ujolari, um, who's a guy that could absolutely go a little bit above this. Now, now, um, now people- let, let me ask you, with Aziz and Zari, yeah. he might be a bit too small to play in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, like, you know, the, the edge rushing thing and, and he fits what, what they do, you know, and, and the, the type of player that they, they typically target, um, he's proven it, you know, the biggest stages. Um, and so like, you know, d- just a guy who's like flashbang quick off the edge, get, getting after the quarterback, um, in terms of what he showed in college in, in this class, you know, over multiple years, probably the most impressive, um, and certainly, you know, athletically, uh, you know, checks all of those boxes as well. Um, the Ravens this, just this morning made some, some interesting news with the trades. So we're going to be talking more about that because they, they have another pick coming up and, and potentially opened a, a hole at tackle. But I, I think at this spot uh, right here, I, I think Ujolari would make a lot of sense. Uh, Ray, can you get on board with this? And I didn't even see what the Baltimore trade was at this point. So news to me. Yeah, or, or Orlando, they got rid of uh, offensive tackle Orlando Brown, uh, picked up an additional first rounder. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what else they got in the deal, but I know they got Kansas City's first rounder it, it, uh, for shipping Orlando Brown off. Okay. So what do you think yeah. that does uh, for Baltimore in this spot, right? Well, I think they are going to tackle an offensive lineman uh, at some point, but I think right here they, they just do a really good job of getting solid players. And uh, Aziz is, I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't seen him, just turn on the tape. He, I mean, he pops every time you watch Georgia play. And he just fits this Baltimore feel like he feels like a Baltimore Raven type player. When you look at Judon, when you look at Mosley, when you look at these players, I know Mosley's not there anymore, but he he fits that Baltimore role and he's an explosive athlete. So um, I really like that for the Ravens. So yeah, Kansas City trades their first round pick for Orlando Brown. So yeah, I'll make the, the note here to upgrade to Baltimore in the number 31 pick at this point. So We have Baltimore's first pick in. That now brings us to New Orleans. Ray, you're up with the Saints pick in the new look Saints. This is the first time in over a decade where they seem like a different team. This is one where I literally, I have no damn clue what to even make of what the Saints are going to do here. Because although they're picking 28th, they have needs all over the place. And I think a glaring need is the quarterback position, which... If there's any money, if there's any action on a dart throw quarterback being selected in the first round, Kellen Mond, uh, Kyle Trask, I would not rule out that at New Orleans. I would not make that move. I know Saints fans don't want to hear that, but they're not committed to Taysom Hill nor Jameis Winston long-term. And quite frankly, I don't think either of those quarterbacks are the long-term answer, but I do think they're enough to fill the gap to keep New Orleans from doing that this year. But if I had a little bit of spare chains in the pocket, I might throw a little action on the Saints taking a quarterback at 28. Um, but I do think uh, with uh, Awusakor Mora off of the board, I would have loved him here at the Saints slot right here. Uh, I think they're going to go wide receiver. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to listen, Ray and hometown flavor. I think they stay in Louisiana. This is a player that, like, you know, Thor alluded to him. He's falling down boards a little bit because of the leg issue. But Terrace Marshall Jr., uh, a compliment to uh, uh, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, you know, YOLO ball, Jameis Winston just heaving it deep. That's one thing that Marshall can do. He can play down the field. He did that with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson on the field as a true sophomore. He was one of the highest-rated recruits coming out of high school, and then he – 
got injured and fell down the rankings a little bit, but I do think the Saints need another weapon on offense opposite Michael Thomas. So right here, I'm going to go Terrace Marshall. He sneaks into the back end of the first round. So Terrace Marshall by Ray nominated for the New Orleans Saints with this pick. Thor, if Ray is kind of right, and maybe they do want to dabble in the quarterback market, this seems like a really smart spot to trade down and try to acquire some more capital, knowing how pressed you are up against the cap. Although sometimes it feels like the salary cap doesn't even exist in the NFL because you can get out of cap hell apparently really easily by kicking the can down the road and just restructuring a little bit. But if they want to take a quarterback, it doesn't seem like anyone else after them is going to. And all the teams that would need to at the top of the second have already taken a quarterback, so they're probably not taking two. So logically, I would think trade down. But we're not going to take a quarterback with this pick. Do you think that this is the move by taking Terrace Marshall here? So I, I agree that, you know, barring a, something like you're talking about, a scenario like that where, where you trade down, um, maybe accrue an extra pick so you can take that shot at the quarterback, uh, you know, that, that would certainly be in play. But I, I think if they stay here, I agree um, as far as, as receiver. I'm going to go with a different one just because of just because of those Marshall uh, rumors. But, it, you know, it, as far as like keeping him in the state and stuff like that, that, that would be cool. And um, he certainly, you know, without those like they probably go a little bit above this even. So, like, this could be a very good value pick you know if, if if Marshall can play through those you know for his whole career um but just to put you on a, the spot again Pat um a receiver that I like a bit more than than Marshall is Elijah Moore uh from Mississippi just a fabulous slot receiver uh just competes like you know, he, he's one of those guys who's like always charged up and everything like that for like a, a, a little guy like um you know early in his career it, it manifested in a, a touchdown celebration that uh was deemed inappropriate uh but like he's he, he is, again, just a hardcore competitor, but um, explosive athleticism and really good hands, you know, and in, in, in general ball skills for a guy that is his size um, it brings in a lot. It brings in everything, essentially, including can, can catch the ball, over, you know, over his shoulder and he can go deep, which is why, um, we, you know, I talked before about the idea of failing down the spectrum. Um, you're going to get two bites of the apple with this kid, because at the very least, he's going to become one of the NFL's best slot receivers, I think, in very short order. But I also think he's got a shot to play on the outside in the same way that Antonio Brown did. You know, it's similar to that. I, I don't know if, if, you know, when he gets there, if, if it's going to be that same, you know, ridiculous you know, very quick transition. He, you know, everything will, will translate, et cetera, but he's got at least the, the toolkit to do that. Um, and if that doesn't work out again, you have one of the NFL's best slot receivers. He would make a lot of sense for the saints too. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll say Elijah Moore and put you to the test, Pat. Okay. So I need a one word answer from both of you. Thor will start with you. Who is a better vertical threat between Moore and Marshall? Marshall. Okay. And Ray, would you have the same take on that? Marshall. All right. I'm going to go with Marshall with this pick because I just see if they need someone with like crisp route running, they got that in Slant Boy. So that's you need someone to go down the field, especially if Jameis is going to be starting. He just wants to bomb it down the field. So I will go with Ray and go with Terrace Marshall with this pick to the Saints. That puts us to Thor. You pick number 29, the Green Bay Packers, who maybe this is a spot for more. Yes. And you read my mind. Um, yeah. Cause you know, especially with Marshall off of the board, there's, there's a drop and, uh, I, you know, the Packers last year, the same talk, you know, they got to take a receiver, they got to take a receiver. Then they, 
ended up trading up for, for Jordan Love. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, they didn't take a receiver the rest of the time either. So uh, now you really have to. They can go off the reservation again if they want and just see, like, how much Aaron Rodgers could take before he just snaps. Uh, but instead, I, I think, you know, maybe we should hit him back this year because last year we kind of, you know, stuck a knife in his back a little bit after all he did for us. Um, and, and, and I'm going to go with, with more who, as far as a fit for Rodgers, you know, like, just fabulous, fabulous. You know, Rogers' accuracy, and again, like the accuracy to all three levels with velocity. Um, a, a kid like Elijah Moore would just absolutely destroy pl- playing with Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that would be a perfect fit. Ray, can you sign off on Elijah Moore to Green Bay at this pick? Oh, 100%. I mean, it was between him and the the only other thing I would kick is they did lose Corey Lindsley and David Bakhtiari, you know, wasn't healthy. I believe it was last season. And, you know, I, I feel like the, the Packers brass are maybe it's a stick it to Rogers thing. Maybe it's stick it to everybody who says they should have drafted a wide receiver last year may entertain the idea of taking an offensive lineman, but ultimately they need a second pass catching weapon opposite of Devonte Adams. Now, Luckily for them, they fell into a gift last year with Robert Tanyan. So you've got uh, Devontae Adams, Robert Tanyan at tight end, but Elijah Moore, uh, what he does well, he's a precise route runner. He's going to be where he needs to be. And we all know how Aaron Rodgers, that's his bread and butter, be where you need to be so I can deliver the ball accurately. Uh, I think that would be a scary, scary pass catching core with with Adams, Moore, Tanyan, and Alan Lazard and NBS, you know, rotating in that stretch, that stretch Z role. So I like to pick a lot, Elijah Moore. All right, Elijah Moore to the Green Bay Packers at 29. Buffalo Bills, AFC representative in the championship game, at least. Buffalo Bills, my producer Paul's Buffalo Bills. It seems like they've got a lot figured out and maybe they just go overloading the secondary and just try to get so good that maybe they can stop the Chiefs at some point, Ray? Well, they got to try to stop the Chiefs and there are some interesting connections to the pick that I have here. And it's a player that he actually measured in bigger at his pro day than I thought he was on tape. And I'm talking about Asante Samuel Jr., the quarterback out of Florida State. Uh, Buffalo, as I look at them, they don't have a ton of glaring needs. I do think they uh, uh, another running back would be ideal. But, I mean, God, are you going to take Javante Williams here? Are you going to take Travis Etienne at this spot? I think when you pair Asante Samuel Jr. up opposite of uh, Tredavious White, you've got Micah Hyde in, in the backfield there at safety. And Sean McDermott actually, I believe, coached Asante Samuel when he was in Philadelphia. So you've got some some family lineage there with Asante Samuel. And I really like this tape. I thought, you know, when you're talking about Florida State players, you got to scout with projection because Florida State was such an absolute how they go from winning a national title, you know, five, six, seven years ago to dog shit. One of the worst teams in college football <laughs> blows my mind. But uh, Samuel Jr. Is, is, is a fantastic talent. I think he's a good number two cornerback and, you know, in a division uh, or in, in the AFC where you're going to have to stop guys from throwing the ball. Uh, I think he would help out uh, a lot opposite. Uh, and they've got Levi Wallace. He's he's pretty damn good as well, too. He's a solid, solid defensive back. But I think here getting Asante Samuel and his versatility makes some sense at pick 30. Having upside and depth in your secondary is probably one of the best things that you can do when constructing a team, especially one that much better than picking a running back in the spot, I would think, Thor. Plus, 
as I told you before, my good friend Tim Andercust wants Asante Samuel to the Jets at pick number 23, said he's so great. So this would only logically make sense that he doesn't go to the Jets, goes to one of the Jets' rivals, and is really good against the Jets. That's how this all <laughs> plays out if you follow the show. Yeah, I, I think uh, he would make sense, and I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think that that's outlandish. Um, I Edge would be another one, you know, Owe and, uh, and and Gregory Rousseau are here. You could potentially look there. For me, though, Buffalo fits the, the Chiefs model when, when they took Edwards E. Lair. I, I think, you know, when you look at teams that are going to take the, the right back in the first round, it, they're always very similar to this exact situation. And then you have the, the quarterback that is, you know, you know he, he's right there on the cusp of, you know, being in the you know, top five players at his position, league, whatever, and you're doing something to try to push him over the top. We, we saw Buffalo, like last season, the, you know, the rushing attack wasn't great. And then when, you know, particularly when Zach Moss got hurt in, in the playoffs, then it was just like, they were just like, well, screw it. We're, you know, we're, we're just going to pass, you know, Josh Allen scrambling will be a rushing attack. Um, and you were just going to throw, which is fine. Um, but like the, the lack of predictability there um, came back to bite them a bit. Um, and so like, I, I think, I think they might be looking for a running back and Javante Williams is not only is he, he's my RB one, um, but I don't, I'm not doing this as a, a thing of like for what I think or whatever, like the bills, Javante Williams fits, you know, you know, Vikings fetish with offensive line that is the athleticism with the bills. It's dudes that break tackles like the, their current uh, front office, like super duper fetish size of that with the running backs. But what they've done to this point is they've a skewed paying the, the more draft equity. And they always take that dude in the middle rounds who like, you know, the season before was like the PFF uh, broken tackle leader. So two years ago it was Devin Singh. Terry, who, you know, despite being small, you know, that season, he had the most broken tackles. And then last year, Zach Moss, it was a very similar thing. Um, but those two guys in conjunction, they, they still are not providing you with, a, you know, even a, a league average starter, much less a guy that, you know, could potentially you could see, you know, taking your offense to the next level. Javante Williams, he didn't just have the most broken tackles in college football last year. He broke the PFF record for uh, broken tackles per rush. And, and he, by far, he had the most broken tackles, but like it'd be going back, you know, and the usage thing. Um, and then everything else with him, he, he, he's a well-rounded back. He, he got nitpicked a bit before for like receiving things, which, which I think was unfair. He happened to play with Michael Carter um, at UNC, a guy that he platooned with. Michael Carter, I, I comp him to Clyde Edwards, Elair. He, he's one of the better uh, pass receiving backs that we've had, you know, in the draft the past couple of years. So if you're UNC, you were going to have Michael Carter, you know, doing that earlier in, in his career. But Javante proved, you know, as far as the receiver, he, he proved it. You know, you can look at his usage, look at his tape. Um, he, he's absolutely fine. And, you know, in that area. And once he has the ball, he becomes the berserker downfield that, that you see in, in his rushes, you know, when he's picking through the lanes and he sticks his foot in the dirt and he's gone. Um, it, it, like you're going to need a couple guys to take that dude down. Um, I, I think he makes a ton of sense for the bills where they're at right now. And I also think their, their front office is always, you know, sitting on dead red on these guys. And Javante Williams is the best iteration of this that has been in the draft. I mean, you could argue, you know, in the past decade, as, as far as breaking tackles. So I'm going to go with him. You make a very compelling case, but I need to do what's best for the show, Thor. And Asante Samuel going to the Bills, just so I can hear say Tim say, I never liked him anyway and he's no good, is exactly what I need. So I need this one to be right, Ray. We're going with Asante Samuel Jr. to the Buffalo Bills as the Ander-cursed pick of the mock draft, putting Thor back on the clock for the Ravens' second pick. They've already gone edge in this draft at number, what the hell was that? Number whatever the hell they picked at, 27. Now they're picking again at number 31 after this trade. Uh, you think they have to go O-lineman now, don't you? 
Yeah, but this is where it becomes weird because, you know, with Baltimore, the, 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 the offensive linemen that are still left, the, the tackles, there are a couple of kids that I think would be okay in this slot, but they're the kind of guys that I was talking about, like the Vikings fetishizes. It, it's the guys with the, the higher RAS scores that are more of like the, you know, zone blocker kind of guys, like Dylan Raidens, you know, being one, um, Samuel Cosme being another. I don't know that they fit what the Ravens look for in offensive tackles, and they certainly would be, either of those guys would be a bizarre replacement for Orlando Brown, just sort of opposite games, you know, especially if it, you would have to put them on the right side um, for, you know, for, for a team that, that has that sort of, um, you know, forward pound, pound, pound type type ethos with the run game. I don't know if either of those two guys is, is like a clear fit for them. Um, back in the second round, we, we might have a, you know, a, a guy that would fit more, uh, you know, perfectly that we can pay less equity for. So the, the Ravens, you know, as we talked about before, one of the things that, that they've just become known for during the draft process is taking the guy that falls to them. Um, you know, particularly defenders is, is, you know, w- w- the joke we were making before, because it seems like every single year, like the one defender where people are like, why hasn't that guy been taken yet? Baltimore's like, come to daddy. You know, they, they just take him every time. In, in this case, I, I, I think you can do that as well. And so, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to address edge instead, because again, because I don't think Raidens and, and Cosme are, are fits for what they do. Um, I'm going to go with Jason Oway. You could also go with Gregory Russo. It's two guys that I, I very close. Um, Oway is just the, the upside with him is so absurd because of his athleticism he's been getting the daniel hunter comps uh which you know like cu- coming out it was the exact same thing it's like daniel hunter like he's so he's, he's so you know he's so athletic and, and you know the frame and everything like that and the length like why didn't he have more sacks at lsu right and so then he ends up falling to the vikings day day two um I, I think you know some of those guys because some of those guys in this very similar mold uh the nfl has been reliably able to give them sort of like the tool or two that they were missing and then they start to play up um russo might be he's a different puzzle but he's a sort of on the other side of it you know he's like the skyscraper that that can bend as well um but he only had the one year production and that was his first year starting on the edge um you played receiver safety at, at high school he's he, he, interesting a very interesting story but then he opted out th- this past season i'm gonna go with Oway because it seems like Oway is right there on the, the the crest of that point where those kind of edge rushers the projectable ones we started to see the light turn on in a couple different facets it, it seems like he is very close to just shooting up um and, and and for the ravens here the juice is worth the squeeze with with this slot that you're in Oway, maybe he, he should have gone a little bit before uh, i'll go with jason Oway. jason Oway is thor's nomination ray and potentially someone who who's, I don't know, a French philosopher and Rousseau. I, I'm not quite sure on this one. Where are you going with their pick? Yeah, I'll just say I, I agree 100%. Always his ceiling, or I don't even want to say ceiling, just what he could become with solid coaching and commitment to a certain position at the defensive level is impact player. You know, legit plug-and-play impact player. May never be – well, shit, his ceiling could be Pro Bowl, all-pro type because he's that – freaky of an athlete just size speed specimen uh you know my my only question would be ravens fans aren't going to be happy that with both of these first round picks they did not address the wide receiver position and we keep talking about lamar jackson like the dude's throwing literally to willie sneed and somebody that's smaller than me you know (laughs) at, at wide receiver that's not good that's that is not a a winning recipe for success and as much as we want to shit on lamar um, because he does have his, he does, he's, he's never going to be Aaron Rodgers ever. He, that's not his game. That's not his game. 
but we've got to give them somebody other than Sammy fucking Watkins to throw the ball to. It's un it's it's unfair to the kid to expect him to perform throwing to a five foot seven, 150 pound wide receiver, the corpse of Sammy Watkins and Willie fucking Sneed. Are you kidding me? Willie Sneed, and then they re-sign Nick Boyle at tight end. And I know you've got it. I just at some point. They've got to go wide receiver, but the the who are you taking here? Is it Amon Ross St. Brown? Does he slide into the first? Rondell Moore doesn't fit that mold. He's a short wide receiver, so you've got to uh, you got to get somebody that's got some size that can catch some inaccurate passes. So for the sake of this exercise, where Baltimore's drafting, if 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 a Rashad Bateman or Terrace Marshall were here, I think that would make a ton of sense for Baltimore. Because they're not here. I don't think they go wide receiver. They're not taking Kadarius Tony. And that would just put them in the same boat that they're in. So I'm not going to I'm not going to offer up another candidate uh here for this selection for Baltimore. All right. So yeah, and, 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 well, I, I, now this is just an overload at edge rush, right? I like how this defense is getting built. For sure. Yeah. And and, and just to dovetail off the point of of, of the receiver, I, I completely agree with that analysis. You know, as far as you know, again, b- building the receiving core to the 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 guy distributing them the ball, you know, that, that seems to make sense from like a team building philosophy. And the, you know, the, the guy who most people, they're the two top guys that most people would have at the top of the board at this point, it's you know, Rondell Moore and, and Kadarius Tony. Both of those guys are they don't catch the ball downfield, or, or at least they haven't to this point. Tony did just a little bit more last year, but people need to remember he was playing with Kyle fucking Pitts on the, you know, on the, and then the other side, Trayvon Grimes, like he was in a, a spot where, you know, in the intermediate area, even 12 yards downfield, you were sort of in space, right? Because you, you could, the defense had to keep the safeties back because Pitts is going to take the top off. Um, and so, but before that in his career, it was just extended handoffs. That's all he was. And that's, that's what Rondell Moore is under this point too. But it, you know, it, it's catchers. It's ex- essentially extended handoffs down the line of scrimmage or whatever. Um, Kadarius Tony, I don't trust him. Uh, you know, running routes down the field and then catching the ball. Like, like if you look at his, you know, you can see this on tape, but you can also see it manifested in his advanced numbers. Like if you go through his, his PFF stuff, it's not just that, you know, almost all of his, his balls that he caught in college were, were near the line of scrimmage, but it's also, he, he has very reliable hands when there's no one around him. So, so that's thing in space, right? Just the quick hitter. He doesn't drop the ball really. Um, but anytime he's in contested situations, uh, his catch rate just absolutely falls through the floor. And, and you want to talk about like the, the, you know, the, the buzzer, like the, the red flag or whatever. So some of these, other guys you know that have been sort of in that ill Paris Campbell I, I think is a, is a good example you know we, we've seen various guys whether it's from Florida or Ohio State you know so, sort of that uh, pecking order we, we get sort of these you know H-backy types you know the, the running back wide receiver sort of combo but you know are they good enough at either to sort of like be a stud there I, I think Tony is probably to me he's a manufactured touch guy going forward that's not what Lamar Jackson needs Lamar Jackson by himself singularly stresses the defense uh, horizontally across the line right you you don't need a receiver uh, that's doing the same thing because th- th- that's Kadiri's job. His, his job is, is to do that for a, a guy like Kyle Trask, right? Because then the defense has to you know defend that way too, as well as down the field as well. It's a spacing thing. Neither of those guys make sense for the spacing of, of the Ravens' offense. They're basically Hollywood Brown, except Hollywood Brown could catch the ball down the field. Um, and so I, I don't want to take the chance on either of those those guys that you know they'll develop that or whatever. And it doesn't make any sense for the Ravens to do that. If Bateman or Marshall were there, that's a very easy pick. But because they're not, I'm going to agree with Ray in the slot. 
The champs have entered the chat, Ray, with the final pick of the first round. I feel like the Bucks are going to make the pick that helps them become the best this year, regardless of position, but who could that be? Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you overruled Thor with the Buffalo pick because it allows me to drop my very uncredible, unreliable <laughs> sources in the industry that I have. Uh, very few of those unreliable sources, but I do have one that has told me that if Javonta Williams is on the board, that Tampa Bay is going to take him. And it just seems like such a Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, I don't give a shit about our positional need. We're getting players out of retirement. We're getting guys uh, that went batshit crazy in Pittsburgh and we're throwing them out there. Like we'll do what we want. We're Tom Brady. It's Gronk. It's BA. It's the Kangol hat. And we're going to take Javonta Williams, even though we just resigned Leonard Fournette and brought in Giovanni Bernard, because you know what? Damn it. Uh, he fits our system. He can catch the ball. He can pass protect for Tom Brady. He can bang down the field and we're just going to run it down your throats with Javonta Williams and Leonard Fournette. And I think that also spells good and bad for Ronald Jones. He's, uh, I mean, uh, this is it for his rookie deal. I could see him be traded. I don't think Giovanni Bernard and, and if Ronald Jones is traded, then Gio Bernard is just a, a, a third, you know, third rotational back. Um, but from, what I've heard, and it kind of makes a little bit of sense. I, I think they don't have a ton of needs. They don't have a ton of needs. They have this, this like you said, Mayo. I mean, hell, we're just going to do what helps us right now. And getting a running back like Javonta Williams at the back end of the first round, I'm, I'm going to roll with that. Javonta Williams, Tampa Bay here at 32. Thor, I hope you agree with this because I could put this in like a headline for an article and the people will click on it and they get like really triggered about it. Like, oh, how do you know that? Like, no, uh, I think that they could literally take any player, any position with this pick as long as TB12 signs off on it. And this could be the move because like Geo's brought in to pass block on obvious passing downs and like. Oh, maybe the Fournette contract was a reward for being great in the playoffs. Was anyone really trusting Leonard Fournette? I could see it theoretically. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we, we talked before about the situation that teams, is, you know, do this in, in general. You know, it's a very specific kind of team, very specific, specific kind of situation. You could argue that the Bucs are the, more so than any other one, right? Like, because the other other examples are like the ascending teams coming up. But the Bucs, it's all the eggs are in this basket, right? Like, I believe they have all 22 starters uh, coming back. So they just won the Super Bowl. We know they don't really have any needs. You you could do, I mean, like, you know, the way that this went down, for instance, you could take uh, Gregory Rousseau, right? Keep him in state. Uh, but that's a guy that you need to work on for a couple of years. He only started for one year, you know, in, in college. He's a raw dude. Uh, so in, in, in the couple other positions, you know, that you would say maybe a little bit higher you know, sort of needs, uh, but none of them would make sense for where the Bucks are in this moment. It, all the eggs are in the basket for this coming season, trying to win one more Super Bowl. They don't know how long those guys are going to stay. You know, after that, uh, Javante Williams, I've tossed out running back for, for the, the Bucs as well. I don't have raised sources as, as, as far as that goes. I had tossed it out before and I, some people will poo-poo it like, oh, they have a full running back room already. It's like, okay, a full running back room. So the dude that the Jacksonville cut uh, last year in, in camp and no one wanted to give him any money and then the, the two draft busts that you've taken, you know, I, I, Keyshawn Vaughn, they, he shouldn't have been a day two pick as is. And Ronald Jones just has not translated 
one-to-one his skill set from from college he makes for a solid backup but uh, again the one dude that you could take here or the one position where you could actually elevate things in a one-year scenario is it the analytics play is it the long-term play no it's not it's the we want to win one more super bowl play javante williams would again i love the kid i, I was talking about it before i love the kid um for me this would be a slam dunk kind of a running back pick in just for this situation with that kid i i, I think it makes a ton of sense so i'm going to sign off on that one and yeah, see analytically in the nfl it may not work out analytically for this show seo purposes i think it's going to work out very well <laughs> that concludes the nfl mock draft for the first round in 2021 ray garvin tell everyone where they can find your work and what you're up to this week as the draft inches closer yeah, appreciate you, Pat, for having me on. This is uh, truly an honor. To both of you, respect you guys tremendously. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. All of my work, I'm not affiliated with, I mean, I just podcast on different shit from time to time, <laughs> but uh, I'm just an independent, I'm like Darrell Revis. I sign one-year deals with everybody and just cash out the next year. But Patreon, patreon.com forward slash all gas, Destination Debbie YouTube channel, dropping content. I, I really love the college game. Like I truly love college football. I got to play a little bit of college ball. Danny Woodhead is a good friend of mine, played with him. Um, so I just love the college game. So check me out on uh, Patreon, YouTube. Destination Debbie. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Pat, for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for letting me so much of your time on this one. You can find the link to the Destination Debbie YouTube channel in the description and comment section of this video and podcast. Thor, you're a busy man this type of year over at NBC Sports Edge. What do you got going on? The mock draft, dra the mock draft drops Monday? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my 500 board, 500-player uh, big board with 500 comps just dropped, um, position rankings, uh, and then mock, you know, in, in into next week. So a ton of stuff happening on NBC Sports Edge. Come and check us out, and you can say hi to me on Twitter as well, at, at Thorku, T-H-O-R-K-U. All right, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Also, subscribe to the Mayo Media Network YouTube channel for all of your draft and sports and sports betting needs. Everything up there right now, running back profiles, wide receiver profiles, draft bets. Now we got the mock draft. We're good to go. If you're listening to the audio version, rate, review, and subscribe would help me out tremendously. Other than that, thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!